Okay, this video is not going to be bashing on flat earth proponents. There's been plenty of that, too much of that on the internet, but it is gonna be doing something more useful than that, which is to take the fact that flat earth proponents very often pride themselves on the idea that they're handling the Bible really well, that they are one of the few groups that are saying, hey, I'm really gonna believe what this text of scripture says, and it says that the earth is flat. What I'm gonna say and suggest in this video and through this two hour interview that you're about to listen to is that the flat earth proponents have been mishandling the Bible, the thing that they're priding themselves in, in particular. This is not something that you need some sort of advanced degree to understand. It's not based on some difficult studies of ancient history. It's only based upon taking scripture in context. Anybody with the Bible can see these things. They seem very plain to me. And after having looked up flat earth Bible verses, verses that are presented by you, the flat earth community, to tell me that I should believe, a Bible believer, that I should believe a flat, the earth is flat, after looking up these verses, I found them uh, to be refutations of your position and not support for your position. So this is not just an empty claim. Uh, I'm only letting you know what this video is about. So I did this interview on a program called Cultish, and it was actually two podcasts that I've put into one giant video that's going to be this video right now. What I want to ask, though, is only one thing. I only ask one thing of Flatter's proponent to watch this video. Please address what I address. And don't change the subject to things that don't come up in the video. Those things have relevance. They're valid. And there's going to be links below to some other stuff, like, say, the, the firmament or rakia, that, that, that whole thing. But that's not what this video is about. This is about the shape of the earth, not the shape of the sky or whatever you want to put in that category. So please enjoy this long video examining verse by verse flat earth proponents' best scriptures that actually end up refuting their positions. And thanks to Cultish, a very interesting and relevant program that examines sort of different different beliefs, tends to examine more fringe positions on different issues. I'll put a link below for their content if you want to check out their website or their podcast as well. All right. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Cultish. My name is Jeremiah Roberts. I'm one of the co-hosts here. I am joined, as always, once again, by Andrew, the super sleuth of the show, uh, sleuthing in the background in your super secret headquarters in Harriman, Utah, right next to the soon-to-be-built Costco, right next to the Winco. Uh, so I don't know if I should give any more hints about your super secret headquarters, but it's good to have you. Good to be with you, Andrew. Thank you. Well, that Costco is open now. I went there opening day. It was great. And I'm having a good day because I'm drinking out of my Mike Winger mug that he sent me, which is a blessing. He really? Sent you it to have me. a Mike yeah. Winger mug? That's interesting I do. because it just so happens I have a Mike Winger mug too. So uh, I want to give cheers to my uh, water, which is uh, in this Mike Winger mug, which is definitely where I'm leading because <laughs> it's now summer here in Arizona, there trying to go. stay super hydrated. You, you have a Mike Winger mug too. That's I have awesome. one too. You know, I find that I find that my coffee tastes a little bit more biblical. Okay. Like <laughs> oh, nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. Like, how did you get these coffee cups made, by the way? It was actually just a, he, there's a potter who is a fan of the ministry and he reached out and was like, Hey, I'd love to make some stuff. I'll put your logo on it. And, um, uh, they're, they're kind of pricey because yeah. they're handmade and everything, but all the, I think it's about all the money goes to him pretty much, but about five bucks per mug. We, uh, we donate to, uh, to a ministry that does, uh, ministries to refugees. Mm. Uh, so Iranian refugees at the moment. Okay. And, um, and yeah, yeah. So I don't make anything off of it. I always feel weird about merchandise stuff. Yeah, so. I know. I know. It's definitely, it's definitely interesting there, but it, hey, it's, it's nice. I, I like it though. It's a cool aesthetic. It's funny to think too, because I forgot that you had told me you're going to send me something. And so when I got, you know, you ever get a package, you don't know what it is. And yeah. it, it took me, even when I opened the box up and looked at it, it took me 
Like, I feel like there's like a 30 second time delay before I put two and two together. What so, is this? What am yeah, I looking at? Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly. Funny. So anyways, I'm glad to have you on, man. So we are going to be talking about a subject that people have asked us to talk about for a long time. You've talked about before. Uh, we're going to be talking about whether or not the Bible teaches that uh, the earth is flat um, and that stuff. There's definitely a lot to unpack with that. And just so you know, for, uh, we're not going to be able to cover every single proof text here. Uh, so we're actually going to have additional blog content. We're going to have a couple articles by the time this dro- uh, article gets dropped, this podcast gets dropped. We're, we're going to be covering different things uh, like the firmament uh, and a couple other major texts that people have questions specifically about. Uh, for the sake of time, there's o- there's only so much stuff we're going to be able to cover in this podcast. But you've been on our podcast before. Uh, for anyone who's not familiar with you, just tell them just a little about a little about yourself, your YouTube channel, and what you're uh, what you're all about. Well, um, I mean, my, my goal is to help people learn to think biblically about everything. And so that has to do with basically asking questions and then pulling up scriptures in context, studying carefully through the word of God to kind of give not only here's the answer, but rather here's how we get that answer with scripture. And so the, I'm, I'm trying to get people into the process of being able to test everything with how we're reading the Bible. So I'm just really convinced that the Bible is like a lot better than almost everybody thinks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yes. And by putting it on display, uh, the, the nutrients and the benefits and the life transformation that comes from it is, is just happening in people's lives through the ministry. So people are starved from scripture or they're confused about it. And I, uh, I don't think I'm like the perfect teacher who's going to fix everything for everyone, but rather I'm one, one of those who's out there saying, let's really pay careful attention to verses in context and watch it change our life. Oh yeah, awesome, and so and hence the name of your YouTube channel, Bible Thinker. Yeah, right. And you covered a, definitely a broad variety of topics, and uh, it's good to have you back on. So yeah, I'm just stuck. Uh, so you dropped a video uh, about two years ago dealing with this exact subject. We're going to be kind of re-exploring that uh, in this episode. I'm just curious, Mike, what what initially prompted you to put that video together? Is there kind of a story behind it? Did you, did you have close friends and acquaintances? Because uh, I know for myself, you know, I've got friends who you know, I know who are acquaintances of mine, who I care for, who are intelligent, smart people who uh, are into this. And they believe that, you know, the the Bible teaches a flat earth model or, and they've, I've had back and forth conversations and it's just, it, you know, there's always, where is, where did it stem from for you to do this video? Well, I mean, like a lot of people I, I had seen where flat earth content took over YouTube for a while. And, and you knew you could get a viral video if you made a flat earth video at the time. And I didn't, I never made one. I, cause I don't care. <laughs> I actually don't make content for the sake of going viral. And so I just did, yeah. I ignored it. But when I encountered a few people I knew personally who were really getting roped in to the flat earth stuff, primarily not because of science related discussions, but because they became convinced at least they were starting to be convinced that the Bible actually teaches a flat earth, that this is something that we should be, we should all be believing if we're going to trust scripture as the word of God. And um, when I saw that happening and, and I looked around and I realized every response to flat earth, you know, content online is either mocking or it approaches the science, but nothing approached the Bible, right? Like nothing I could find anyways, really approached the Bible. And even, I don't know if you guys, you, you guys probably aware of this, but a lot of the audience might not know even scholars like Christian scholars will, will affirm that the Bible does teach a flat earth. Mm-hmm. And, and I think when you look at the verses in context, you're like, this is one of those areas where many scholars are utterly failing in the basics of mm-hmm. reading scripture. Um, and this is not because I have a scientific commitment to, uh, to a, a spherical earth or something like that. I just, I just thought, what if someone just 
examined all the proof texts for a, for a flat earth mm-hmm. in context, not to be inflammatory, not to mock or ridicule anybody, just examine them in context, then the people who trust the Bible, and that's been the important gateway for them into this, into this movement, yeah, they'll be able to rethink it, in my opinion, because as I look at the texts, I go, guys, it's not even questionable. It's like really obvious that this is not what scripture is teaching us. Yeah. yeah. Right. And in, and in this too, and I get, you know, there's, there's friends of mine, you know, that are going to uh, listen into this and there's nothing I want to say in this podcast that I wouldn't say to them face to face. So uh, Andrew, you can jump here as well too, but I'm not here to make fun of anyone or condescend to one. And in fact, I, I actually want to go as far as to actually compliment people who are passionate about that subject because I want to at least give them credence to the fact that they care about the Bible. They they care about the fact that they want it, they, that they believe that God's word is authoritative uh, in that. But I think in that, which is a correct belief, I, I think there is on levels, we'll explore it, it, it some of that passion is, is very uh, misguided and we'll, we'll definitely unravel into that. So we definitely want to be able to really look at this and and really do what your YouTube channel entails as too is be, let's be Bible thinkers about this. Yeah. Um, Andrew, is there any thoughts yeah. you want to just kind of uh, you want to lay down as well too as we kind of jump into this? Yeah, and I'm, I'm totally in agreement in terms of being sensitive uh, to the people that may hold to this flat earth model. Uh, my question would be essentially for, for Pastor Mike, too, to elaborate on, because we know that we want to think biblically. Well, if they're trying to use the Bible and they're trying to use the Bible in order to prove the flat earth model, I think they'd be like, well, how am I not thinking biblically? I'm using the Bible, you know. So what does it mean to read the Bible and then to read the Bible and think biblically about the Bible, Pastor Mike? Um, so... It it just comes down to really basic basic reading skills at this. And forgive me, I don't mean anyone with a modicum of intelligence can do because brilliant yeah. people get this stuff wrong all the right. time. But you you just read a verse and you read it in context, right? So Jesus says, for instance, hate your father and mother. You know, if you if you don't hate your father and mother, you can't be my disciple. And there are some who do actually some some sort of cultish type groups will take those verses and they'll use them to tell members of the group, you have to leave your family and join our group. You can't talk to them anymore. And that is, that's out of context. And how do we fix that? We read all that Jesus said about the topic. We read um, where scripture says, honor your father and mother. We read, and we read the context to see that Jesus is talking in that case, in this example, he's talking about, you know, you love your parents, you serve them, you, you honor them as a Christian, but if they're asking you to choose between Jesus and them, you pick Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's about choosing one over the other in this case. Uh, it's not about actually just hating people. <laughs> like, yeah, I hate them because I follow Jesus. But this is what I mean. This little example is what I'm seeing in many cases with uh, some of the proof texts to demonstrate a flat earth. Terms like ends of the earth, right? Or the mm-hmm. pillars of heaven. The, there's terms that are commonly understood in a, in a, by a flat earth community to, to indicate like a physical edge on the end of the earth. And the, the question we should ask is, when we read those in context, is that how the author meant it? Is that what God was saying? Is that how the original readers understood it? And so we just read it in context, just basic, basic reading comprehension stuff. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And so again, just and this, you you emphasize this too, Mike, uh, is that, and you can definitely elaborate as well too, is that um, you know, this specific uh, episode, this isn't about, you know, getting into any sort of specific uh, conspiracies or the geocentrism or ancient Near, Near Eastern thought, any of those particular topics. We are just looking at specifically, um, does 
when you look at certain proof texts that come up, and I actually only recently experienced in the last couple of years where I would see people who are Facebook friends, and they were just very passionate. So the Bible emphatically teaches that the, that the earth is flat. And like, you have to adhere by that. And anyone who doesn't really, and this isn't the case with everyone, there's, there's a general, uh, what's implied a lot of times what comes up is that anyone who does not adhere to the specific model or who questions it on some level is under uh, satanic deception. And I think what we want to do is that anytime someone makes a biblical claim, uh, people, we have the right, uh, and it says in Acts 17, uh, verse 11, the Bereans who were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica when they received Paul's message, they searched the scriptures daily to see if those things were so. In the same way, in Thessalonians says in 5.13, it says, test all things, hold fast to that which is good. So what we're looking to do is we're going to look at what has been brought up in the Flat Earth community, people who are passionate about this subject. We're going to look at specific verses. And in this, our main point in this is that we need to interpret the Bible correctly. Um, in fact, what you emphasize too what, is that it's people can be passionate about that subject, about that subject is that the earth is flat, but the, the reality is, and you emphasize this in your videos, that they're not getting it from the Bible, at least correct biblical interpretation. So people, if you're watching this, you may be opposed to that. That's what we want to graciously demonstrate. And that that's really the point of having you on and really having this conversation. Right. I just want to make it super clear so people get this. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying what the earth is. I'm asking, do these texts tell us X about the earth? Do they tell us that the earth is flat? Um, when it comes to the question of like, for instance, does the Bible support a, a spherical earth? I'm not making a case for that today. I'm asking if these proof texts about a flat earth are being read in context, if that's what they really mean. That's it. That, that That's the whole case. I'm not trying mm-hmm. to talk about science. I'm not dealing with those things. I'm not deriding that stuff. I'm not commenting on it at all. It's, it's just, right. we're talking about one issue at a time. And that really helps because some of these conversations get very heated. And then you end up bouncing between between NASA and and uh, and public schools, and then the topic of evolution, right? And then you go into like mm-hmm. the sh- the shape of the Earth, and then the Bible, and then ancient Near Eastern texts, and you have a skull, and you start moving through all these things, and it's like, how do we get our bearings? Right. And just ask just ask the question: Is, is the Bible supporting this view or not? That's all. Right. I really and then that that's a simplistic approach. Again, we're not we're not trying to be, we're not trying to be advocate for a particular uh, Earth model. We're just looking at these particular proof texts. You know, we're not trying to be shills for NASA. We're not trying to be. We're not we're not part of some elaborate Jesuit conspiracy uh, across you know going off the last couple last couple centuries. We're simply trying to look at does the Bible actually match up with the claims that are uh, being made for sure? So uh, so on that note, let's go ahead and just uh, jump into it. So let's go ahead and um, jump into it. So the very one of the things you brought up in your uh, video is that there are texts that talk about the uh, the ends of the earth. Uh, this gets brought up, and that was one of the th- first things that you brought up. So tell me about when you were putting this video together, uh, how did people, how did you see people using those specific verses? Give us some examples of what that, how, how are people who are adhering to a flat earth model? How are they using those particular verses? So it's often used, uh, what I've seen is it's often used to indicate, you know, Hey, we see the phrase ends of the earth in scripture. And therefore the earth is like a, a it has edges, right? It's not, it's not spherical. It's not rounded with no, 
ends. It rather the land goes out for a while, then there's ocean, and then there's like an uh, usually they say there's an ice wall, <clears throat> and it, and you know this is this is where confusion came in for me when I first started hearing flat Earth stuff because I didn't really understand what they were doing with with uh, with our picture. So imagine if you have the idea of a globe, and you like put your finger right inside the middle of right. the South Pole, uh-huh. and you stretched that out. And you opened it up and now you've got that Arctic ice all around this sort of, you know, circular shape. And that is like an Arctic ice wall. And beyond that, there's just, no, there's just nothing. Right. Um, and so that's the ends of the earth there. Then there's, you know, text after text, after text in the new Testament and excuse me, old Testament primarily that says ends of the earth. And they go, well, that's what that means. It's talking about the ends of the earth. Um, so when we, we, uh, we look at, say, Job 28, 24, that says he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. Mm-hmm. So then they go, well, there you go. Now, most often when I found Flat Earth, uh, you know, prom- promotional materials like content and videos and stuff like that, they wouldn't actually walk through this carefully uh, or slowly. I should say they would just quickly list verses and then move on to the next topic. But I wanted to do it more slowly and methodically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Andrew, do you have any initial questions about that subject when it comes to the end of the earth or what are your thoughts on that initially when you're kind of looking yeah. through this? Oh yeah. I'll, just a question. Like, so with Job 28, 24, in terms of what the context is in Job, what exactly is being communicated here then instead of saying that, Hey, I'm going to read this. And obviously it's teaching a flat earth model. It's saying ends of the earth. And we see that there's ends of the earth in this picture of a flat earth model. What, what is being communicated here in Job then? So what we have with the term ends of the earth, is we have a phrase that appears several times in scripture. And one way to understand not just a word, but an actual phrase, a a repeated phrase in scripture is to look at its use in multiple places and say, hey, you know, if I want to be consistent, I'd like to see not, and this is important to stress, not just a word, but a phrase. (laughs) I'd like to see how is this phrase being used? What, What meaning does it have? When the original readers, you know, saw it, did they think of that sort of edge of the ice wall kind of thing? That's that, that terminates all of, all of what we would call earth in the broadest sense. And so there's other scriptures that talk about this. Um, and it, so Psalm 67, seven, we'll bring another verse in to talk about it. So it says here, God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Now, when I just started this, this research, I just, you know, searched ends of the earth and started reading all the verses that had to do with the topic. Cause again, there's no magic here. It's just, just reading stuff in context. This uh, on a view that affirms a flat earth, You'd have to say that there are there are people on that ice wall edge of the earth, and there's and they're going to f- turn to him and fear God. Now that starts to sound a little strange because on their view there aren't people there, to my knowledge. Um, but there's more. So Isaiah forty five twenty two it says, "Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other." And here there's, there's, there's people that can be saved that live on the ends of the earth. I'm starting to get the impression that this text is just talking about people from far away places. Like this is just, you turn to God, all the ends of the earth, that it's just a far away place. I think one of the best scriptures though, that shows how this phrase is being used is uh, Deuteronomy 28. So in Deuteronomy 28, verse 49, we read, the Lord will bring a nation against you. God's speaking to Israel about, you know, curses that will happen to them if they rebel against him. Mm-hmm. It's the Lord will bring a nation against you from a far, from far away from the end of the earth. So on that model where you have this ice wall, you'd have to have people that live there that are actually attacking Israel. It starts to, to feel like, wait, is that really the context? Because 
what, it, what ended up happening is Babylon and Assyria attacked northern and southern kingdoms of Israel and carried them away. And that's the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 28. So Babylon and Assyria become the ends of the earth. And there's more support for this in scripture. Deuteronomy 28 verse 64 says this, and the Lord will scatter you among the peoples from one end of the earth to the other. Now, from a flat earth perspective that I've heard, one end of the earth to the other is one ice wall all the way across to the other. So I'm going to pass Australia and I'm going to pass, you know, what we would consider the North Pole over here. We're going to pass the Americas and then boom, we got the other ice wall. So Israel was scattered that far in the ancient, in the ancient times, like that didn't happen. What did happen was they were brought to Babylon. They were brought to Egypt. They were brought to other places that are not that far, actually. Um, so the biblical phrase seems to be referring to Babylon. Mm -hmm. There's, there's, there's other scripture that, that, and, and not only Babylon, I'll, I'll say, it seems like it's being used in the sense of far away places. Ends of the earth is just places that are far away. Because I think that most of the time the Bible's being written from the perspective of a human being who's just looking out going, yeah, that's super far. It's <laughs> yeah. like Babylon's like super duper far. I'm not, they're not <laughs> thinking about cosmology. They're just thinking about their normal daily experiences. Um, so there's other scripture on this. Um, that's good, man. So, so pretty much what we're saying too, is like in Job 28, 24, if we're going to take the ends of the earth literal and look and bring into the text, something that's actually foreign to the text, we actually need to apply that to the other scriptures that use the same phrase ends of the earth. And if we right. do that, we see that you can't actually understand that scripture in context, especially with Deuteronomy 28, 64, like you just mentioned, what about like uh, Mark 13, 27? Isn't that another good uh, use of scriptures that we can understand correctly what the ends of the earth is, is it, what it means? Could you go into that? Yeah. So Mark 13, 27 says, now he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. This is a very hopeful passage for 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 the future, I believe. <laughs> I don't know if you're his perspective on yeah. that. <laughs> right. Um, so this just, just means, I think, that all people all over the earth are, are there's there are rather, all over the earth are going to be people that belong to God. This is interesting because here's Jesus mm -hmm. speaking in the first century in the middle of Israel, a, it, sort of a subtle prophecy that Christianity will spread everywhere, will spread mm -hmm. all over the place. It'll go much further than just the land of Israel, which is kind of like a pretty neat thing. But the biblical phrase into the earth can't be used as a proof text here for those who support a flat earth because it's just not a literal phrase about cosmology. Mm -hmm. It just means people all over are his. You know, when uh, when Nehemiah was at the ends of the earth, he we know he was in he was in uh, a thousand about a thousand thirty five miles from Jerusalem mm -hmm. in Susa, right? Right. And so he's and he's taught and and we know this. Let me read to you. We skipped this first, but I'll share it real quick. Nehemiah one eight. Nehemiah says, remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven. That's an interesting phrase, uttermost parts of heaven. You would, now, you would think uttermost parts of heaven, if on a flat earth model, is that ice wall, is right there near the ice wall. <clears throat> and he says, from there, I will gather them and bring them to the place I have chosen to make my name dwell there. Mm -hmm. Nehemiah is speaking about the fulfillment of the Deuteronomy 28 curse into the earth. And he's again, he's about a thousand miles from Jerusalem. They knew there was land far beyond Babylon. Right. They didn't, they didn't think it was a literal edge. Mm -hmm. They just thought it meant really far 
from right. where you are. Yeah, and I think the fact too, Mike, is that you know we mentioned like Mark thirteen. So uh, you and I are, are will probably differ in certain particular areas in eschatology. I'm sure you've covered that too on Bible Thinker as well too. But I think one of the things we can agree on is that there is an importance. Biblical languages are important, and there are many a times where there is specific. Uh, geographical language used, but not necessarily meaning uh, geography. Uh, for example, in Acts 17, 6, uh, this would be one example people need to think about. You mentioned the ends of the earth. Here's something to think about. Um, in, uh, and this is talking about you know the, the New Testament church. And it says, uh, but when they did not find them, talking about you know the apostles who were doing evangelism in Acts 17, says they dragged Jason and some other believers before the official shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, okay? So the question is, for this particular passage, are they saying that these people have gone to every single geographical location over the entirety of the world? Is that what they're truly arguing? No. These people that they're saying, you know, it's kind of like, oh, when something is taking a long time and a kid says, you know, oh, this is taking forever, that doesn't mean like forever and eternity. It's like it's taking a long time. And so this is an example where it's just talking about a specific geographical location. There's other areas too, where in Psalms, where it says, as far as the East is from the West, so as he made, removed our transgressions from us. Is that adhering? Is that giving a, and I've had friends of mine who I've, you know, just having a drink with and, and talking about this. I'm like, that's not, that's not giving a geographical measurement as far as how you measure the earth. You, you can't make that argument. So that's where you need to look at the consistency of what does the Bible actually mean when it's giving these geographical locations. And it's very easy, many a times, if you're passionate about this subject, and I, I'm, I'm capable of it too, to take something and then read it into the text. That, that's the issue that we're having here. And so when, when something is done, when there's a verse geographically, you need to just take away any aspect of what you believe the earth is, and ask yourself, what is the actual context of that? Like I said, given that in Acts and also giving that in Psalms, what are your thoughts on that, Mike? Um, I agree. We, we want to th- put yourself into the mind of the original readers of the text. Right. How many of them are thinking, you know, all over the world means that's a cosmological description of, the, you know, it's like they're just, they're just not thinking of it. And I don't know that they were answering the question. Um, you know, any more than we would answer those questions if we weren't raised with those answers being inputted into us at a, at a fairly young age. Like we, we, we just, you would just look out and you think, yeah, from the ends of the earth. Okay. It's way over there. Another one, like say is Psalm 19, six, that says that the sun rises from one end of the heavens and its circuit is to the end of them. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing hidden from its heat. Okay. I, now, if I take this from a, from a, a flat earth perspective, I don't actually think on, on any flat earth model I've seen that the sun actually reaches the end of any of the heavens because they consider the end of the heavens where it's connecting with the earth on this sort of dome, you know, ice wall connection point. And this is saying that it reaches the end of the heavens. And, and you could say, well, the, oh, this supports the globe thing. And I'm like, well, or you're just a, just a, a, a earlier you know, pre-scientific person looking around going, oh, the sun just comes up and then it goes down and it comes up and, and all you're doing is describing right. how it looks. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what I think we're actually getting in the text. Gotcha. Gotcha. Definitely. Um, Andrew, do you have any other thoughts on that before we kind of jump onto the next subject? No, it's, it's, it's 
it's like poetic language, right? It's like trying to take things that are poetic and making them literal. I mean, you have the situation when you're talking to some LDS people in terms of God having a body of flesh and bone. They'll go to texts where saying the hands of God this or the hands of the feet of God there. But I mean, if you're consistent in that type of biblical interpretation, you can go to Psalm 91.4, right? And it says, he will cover you with his pinions and under his wings, you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. Mm-hmm. How are you going to interpret that text? Does God have feathers? You know, does he have wings? No, people are speaking poetically. We need to read the Bible in context for what it's saying, specifically and especially in Job, one of the most beautifully poetic descriptions of God's sovereignty that we have in all text of scripture. You know, like we've we've got to think biblically about those things, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Amen to that, man. I I think that we what we what we don't want to do is say things are poetry that aren't. But it would be an equal mistake to say things are not poetry when they are. <laughs> so we, we have to let it be what it is and take it that way. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So uh, speaking of Job, this is something that you brought up in your original video, too. Maybe you can expand on it, too, Mike, is that okay. one of the things that uh, a proof text that comes up is uh, does the book of Job uh, describe specifically uh, the nature of the earth? So maybe you could do is uh, give some examples of how this is used, how this is used is specifically Job uh, chapter 38, verse 14. I'll go ahead and read it. It says, it is turned as clay to the seal and they stand as a garment word uh, turned into. Yeah. So that's, that's the context. So maybe if you could just elaborate on that, but also I think, again, it's very easy in this conversation to jump to a conclusion and talk about a specific verse. Also, if you want to maybe expand to it, maybe explain to people too, like what is the whole context of the book of Job? I think when you actually understand the purpose of a book, then you'll get a better understanding of how to understand when something gets mentioned as far as, you know, the earth, uh, as far as when that, when that anything is mentioned, as far as any sort of cosmology goes. Yeah. Well, let me, let me share some thoughts and then get your guys responses to those things. Sure. The, uh, so one of the real proponents who really has pushed forward uh, flat earth uh, views has been a, a guy named Dean Odell. And Dean Odell, I'll quote him now. Here's what he says. He says, when God was talking about the earth, and he's talking about Job 38, 14, about turned as clay to the seal, um, and how he formed it, the word picture he gives in Hebrew is that it was changed as clay to the signet ring, pushed down flat. And when that happens, it causes an upturned edge. It causes a border around it. Now you look at any seal, there's going to be a border around it. That pressed down piece of wax or clay or whatever it is. Now, that's a quote from him from one of his yeah. popular videos that mm-hmm. uh, that you know promotes this these views. So Dean Odell's claims are interesting. And he kind of he kind of puts this stuff out. A lot of these, uh, Dean Odell, Rob Ski, but they've put these things out like they're on a journey. And they're like, and then I found this thing. And it was amazing. And I couldn't mm-hmm. believe it. And so they present it like that, but often they're presenting things as if they're discovering these new things that, it, that it, it's a little misleading to be, to be honest yeah. with you guys. So he says that the word turned is in strongs and it means to change, not to spin. Okay. So, so apparently some people are using this, that the earth is turned as clay to say that the earth is, is a spinning globe. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I would be, I think, again, I think just, just like I say, others, you know, flat earth views can be pushed. That could be pushing a globe view here. <laughs> I don't think this is the context at all. Um, but the word itself, uh, okay, you could translate it turned or, or change. I don't care. Um, the Hebrew word for seal, however, means signet ring. And here's a big part of that sort of flatter uh, perspective. The Hebrew word means signet ring, he says. And he says, think of a ring used to stamp 
wax, right? It's a ring. But when you actually look up Strong's, even Strong's, which is a pretty bare dictionary, there's little data there. But when you look up Strong's, it says that typically when this word is used, unless a hand is mentioned, it refers to a, uh, a, uh, a disc, a cylinder, not a ring. And all of a sudden, all of Dean Odell's word picture where he has like clay, he has a wax and you stamp it with a ring and it has a ridge and that's the ice wall. Um, yeah. That all falls apart because now it's a disc that rolls over clay and it's like, it comes out like a rectangular flat with bumps, you know, into, you know, whatever mm-hmm. they wanted to put onto the seal. Um, and so that's actually what's strong. But it also here, here's the bigger issue though. Um, the context was not checked. It was just a verse out of context. Job 38, 14, just don't look behind the curtain to see the, yeah. the wizard, the wizard back there doing his thing. And so the context here, Job 38, 14, it says, yes, it's changed like clay under the seal. But if you read from verse 12 to verse 14, you see the poetic stuff that's going on here. And Job, the entire book, you asked for some context, the whole book of Job is poetry. The entire book, not it's like, like Psalms is poetry. It is poetry, the whole thing. And not, not to say it's not teaching true things, uh, real things, but yeah, it's, it's poetry. A lot of it has to do with God's sovereignty and his right to do what he pleases and the rightness of us to trust him no matter what is happening in our lives. And I think that this is something we can agree on in, and I'm going to sound like a Calvinist and yeah. I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's the elephant so, in the room that people always like messes about like, uh, yeah. did, hasn't he had back and forth with James White? I'm like, yeah, we know that. So, <laughs> yeah, but this, it may, well, like, yeah. So, okay. But let me, let me just Maybe read the text. Okay, Job, Job 38, 12 through 14 says, have you commanded the morning? This is God asking Job questions, these rhetorical questions to kind of say, say like, Job, you're really small. I'm really big. This is kind of the, the thing. He says, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? Notice that the morning and the dawn, we're talking about the sunrise, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Then it says that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it. Nobody's going to take that literal. I'm not going to grab the skirt. The earth doesn't have giant skirts and the wicked are in them and they're going to be shaken out by the morning. What's he talking about? Then in verse 14, it says, it is changed like clay under the seal and its features stand out like a garment. So here we arbitrarily take verse 14 to be like this literal description of the cosmology of earth. But verse 13, we we ignore because it's skirts and shaking the wicked out of skirts. Like that, that doesn't make sense. So here's what I get in this passage in Job. It's a description of the sun coming up. And just like when you have clay, it's just this flat piece of clay and you roll the cylinder over it. Now it's all got all these contours and bumps. When the sun comes up, the light shines onto the earth and this causes the wicked to stop what they're doing or to be caught. Now this fits the context of Job really well because Job 24 verses 13 through 17 describes the wicked as doing their stuff at nighttime so they won't be caught. Let me read it to you guys. Job 24, 13 through 17, it says, there are those who rebel against the light, who are not acquainted with its ways and do not sit in its paths. They, the murderer rises before it is light that he may kill the poor and needy. And in the night, he is like a thief. The eye of the adulterer also waits for, for the twilight saying, no, I will see me. And he veils his face in the dark. They dig through houses by yeah. day. They shut themselves up. They do not know the light for deep darkness is morning to all of them. And it's, it's as though morning, like it's the light to them. They come out in the dark and they are for, they are friends with the terrors of deep darkness. And so God's like, I'm the one that commands the morning that shakes the wicked out who are hiding in the dark. This is talking about, it happens every day. 
this thing that's being described in Job 38 is not the creation of the universe or the, or of the world. It is actually the sun rising and it shakes the wicked out yeah. because it brings light into the things that they're doing. Mm-hmm. So it's just the contours of light being cast onto mountains and valleys and trees and stuff like that. Yeah. 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 It, yeah in fact, be- um, Andrew, will you, do you have something you're going to say or? I yeah, I mean, there. even in Job 38, in the context, this is God replying to Job. Where were you when I was doing all of these things? Like, did you see this? You know, did you walk the chasms of the great deep? Uh, the, the picture, again, it's just the sovereignty of God. If we're going to take texts like this and interpret them literal, we're going to have to go to like Hebrews chapter one as well. When we have the father bringing the son into the world, talking about the deity of Jesus saying in verse, uh, let's see here, 11, it says, talking about, uh, actually my bad verse 10, it says, and you Lord laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up. If we're going to take these things literally in Job and we're reading the same type of language in Hebrews, is the earth now like laying on fabric? And then Jesus is going to literally roll it up like a, like fabric. We have to be consistent in our interpretation of biblical text, And if we can't be consistent in that interpretation, hermeneutically your your interpretation's probably wrong right. the scripture is going to be right so i think that's extremely important something to say and in terms of this too uh pastor mike and jerry you guys can speak to this yeah. uh some of my worries when i was watching some of the videos by um it's dean odal right odal, i believe yeah. yeah well before he starts giving these types of uh revelations he he says like the holy spirit showed me right the holy spirit led me to these things yeah. and this this is a big deal to me because if someone's coming to know who Christ is through the flat earth model. Well, what about the gospel? What about the gospel? Because all of a sudden, if somebody then is unconvinced of this flat earth model through biblical text later, maybe they were never saved to begin with, right? Maybe the whole Bible is then rejected. I think that's a big worry, right? Because we shouldn't use the the, the Lord's name in vain is what I'm saying. I don't think that's a good thing to do to say the Holy Spirit is showing me this when you could be utterly wrong and that's, that's a worry for me is, you know, just half haphazardly using the Lord's name in vain. Right. In well, let's sense. say, let's say hypothetically, if I could add to that, that, that Dean Odell had said, the Holy Spirit showed me this clay passage, which I think he may do that if I remember in the video, but I'm right. not sure. But let's say that he did. The Holy Spirit showed me this passage. Then he proceeds to misinterpret the, the, the Hebrew terms and to completely misinterpret the passage. Obviously, it's not talking about a creation thing. It's talking about something that happens every morning and it's picturesque and poetic. But then this shows me Dean Odell does not know the voice of the Holy Spirit. He's saying God's leading him when he's not. So now yeah. we've elevated him from having a mistaken interpretation of a passage that is always a, a sad and unfortunate thing to actually doing it in the name of inspiration. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now he's in a new category, if that's the case. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and in fact, and here's the thing too is that, and I'm glad you mentioned that, uh, Andrew, as well. And obviously, I was joking earlier about the you mentioned the whole Calvinist thing too. Obviously, you know, we're reformed. You're not. You know, there's still areas, but still, there there's areas in which we disagree when it comes to that. But there's still we're still unified around the essentials, and so you know, we can definitely still have those conversations and disagree with each other, but still be unified as you know as brothers in the Lord, and to be able to focus and, and to have an edifying conversation like this. And even you know, like video the video series you, you recently did uh, with your uh, women in ministry. And so I haven't had a chance to actually go through it in depth. I've just seen some of your posts. And as part of me initially, I mean, I think our views might be different than that. And again, that's a conversation where you can be back and forth. But again, it's a secondary issue. And 
it's one of those things where it sh- this should not be something you you purposely and you have to completely d- divide over. I think my concern when you kind of look into this whole discussion and even why it's kind of on our platform is because well, I think a lot of times, and it's, this isn't indicative of everyone, this whole conversation about what the model of the earth is, it starts to become very white hat and black hat. Like we have the complete truth that it's this specific model and anyone who holds to a heliocentric model or anything else on some level, they're under spiritual deception and anyone, and to actually test what we're doing, we're taking a look at these verses, which we're biblically, we have the warrant to do. It's almost like you're questioning the very revelation of God. And, and that's that's kind of the concern that I have. And so honestly, what we want to just encourage anyone listening in is that you want to just look at these verses and say, it, can you make a case for your belief of the Mala? Can you typically make a case for that? And when it comes to Job 38, you know, what you see is things that are real and tangible that God is talking about, but there's also like a lot of poetic language. So, you know, the point of Job 38 is to talk about his God's sovereignty and him being able to, and his, and God's wisdom versus Job. He's not, it's not there to give you a specific cosmological model. It's there to talk about the superiority and the supremacy of God and who he is and how he created the world and and that's the that's the really the purpose of creation as well too is declare is to declare the glory of God and to proclaim the work of his hands and I think a lot of times if you start getting into these intricacies you you start losing track of what biblical cos, biblical cosmology the purpose of it is to begin with just good thoughts I, I think that the my summary would be the stakes are so high for some people who think this issue gets elevated and elevated and elevated where it, it was like, like, I'm not actually that worried theologically in a person's life. If they think the earth is flat, I don't really care that much. Right. <laughs> um, I'm worried when it becomes a pillar of Christian faith, mm-hmm. because it's not biblically speaking, it's just not. And so where did this pillar come from? And how is it going to affect other things? Like you're saying the whole uh, looking at people as being under spiritual deception, they're like under the the god of this world just blinded their eyes they're like well that's usually terminology we use for someone who rejects the gospel not not someone who has a different cosmological perspective than you yeah yeah so mike i appreciate you bringing those points and this has been a great conversation so far and uh, i almost forgot forgot the beginning uh we have a couple of sponsors too of cultish that makes our podcast a possibility so just real quickly uh this podcast is brought to you by Forged Beard Company. If you go to forgedbeardco.com forward slash cultish, you can get some goodies for your beard, uh, whether it's beard oils, beard uh, washes, all this, all the goody, goodness and intricacies you need for your beard. Go to forgedbeardco.com forward slash cultish and you will get all the goodies. And then a good portion of that will go towards this ministry. Also, a program like Cultish cannot continue without your support. So if you want to support Cultish, you can go to thecultishshow.com. You can go to the Donate tab. You can donate one time uh, or monthly. And also make sure you go to apologiastudios.com, and you can become an all-access member if you want to support the studio, which makes Cultish a possibility. Uh, You can definitely get some great content, so definitely check that out. Also, Make sure you go to shopcultish.com. We've got a merch store, so if you want to get some cultish goodies, uh, you can definitely check that out as well. 
All right, so back to the podcast, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today, Mike. Uh, so one of the things, just real quickly, you brought this up in the video, and again, this is just a matter of just understanding holistically uh, biblical interpretations. So one of the things she mentioned is that Earth, usually in the Bible, typically does not mean specifically uh, planet. So I think that's a mistake that a lot of people uh, make when they come really when they really come into this conversation. Could you elaborate on what she meant in that video? Uh, yeah, I, I noticed it. Yeah, I noticed it happening as I was reading a lot of the proof texts that were being used and then the way they were being discussed. And I even saw some saying, look, the Hebrew for earth here is Eretz. And Eretz, it sounds like you're, you're mixing on a, on a, <laughs> Eretz. Ever, ever, yeah. Ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're doing some DJ work there. But um, the, uh, the word there, they say it means planet. And this is, um, this is definitely not the case. And so you could just look up the word in numerous places in the Bible. Um, it mostly does not mean that. And I say planet, whether you define that as like a globe or, or a flat, you know, earth view, whichever term you want to use there. But, um, but yeah, Genesis 1.10, you know, God, he, he calls the dry land Eretz or earth. And then the waters, he calls them seas. But usually when I see flat earth, you know, material online, they use the term earth only to refer to the entire entirety of everything, land, sea, ice wall, all of it together. Um, then in Genesis 11, 1, we have the word used again, it says the whole earth had one language and the same words. Now that refers to all people of the earth. This isn't actually talking about it, it. And obviously the people don't live in the ocean. He's just talking about people and using the term Eretz to talk about humans. We're not talking like when the Bible says world, it often speaking of the people, not any physical structures. In Genesis 13, 6, we have it used in, in, in another way. It says the land, the Eretz, which you could translate earth, and some would say means, means all of existence, <clears throat> could not support both of them. It's talking about Abraham and Lot. <laughs> so it's like, man, how big was, was, their, was their groups that they, the entire earth could not support them? Obviously, the term Eretz doesn't just mean earth. Like, you just can't translate it that way. In fact, most of the time when you see the term earth in scripture, it's not trying to talk about, and if you look at it carefully, it's not trying to talk about, you know, whether it's the globe or the flat earth model, all of that stuff. It's just usually talking about something else, something much smaller. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I find that to be really important because when we're thinking even of the end of the ends of the earth phrases, like in Genesis 11, 1, we can see referring to all of the people on earth. So it's mm -hmm. a good thing to think biblically. So what about the footstool passages? Mike, what, what, do we, what do we do with those and where, where do we start? Yeah, so I mean, <clears throat> I had never thought of this as being a, a physical description of, of the entirety of the earth, but, but that's how I've heard it used uh, as I was looking into some of the flat earth perspectives. And so Isaiah 66, one says, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. And here's where I've heard of, I've even seen pictures, models of this. And they go, look, when you look at a footstool, right, it's rounded. It's flat on top. It has legs like pillars. It's describing the cosmology of the, of the earth here. And then I'm, I'm like going like, I mean, as a, as a guy, I mean, most of the audience already knows that this is like, wait a minute, what? So let me, let me push back for those who don't, you know, already see some issues with this footstools. They're round and they're on pillars and they're flat on top. Is that what we're getting from the text of scripture? Um, there's several pushbacks we can have. One of them would be that heaven is his throne. Does that mean that we're getting the physical shape of heaven? But they would describe heaven as, as, as having a dome shape. So how is heaven his throne? 
earth is his footstool. Does that mean he puts his feet on earth? And, and in heaven, he is mostly taken up just by him sitting. Is that what he's saying? Or is he saying, I rule in heaven and earth is beneath me? I'm, I'm Lord of heaven and earth is beneath me. It's, it's a poetic dis discussion of God's power and sovereignty. Isaiah, here's uh, if we use the same interpretive method to call this like cosmological descriptions of literal things, it's the issue you brought up earlier, Andrew, right? Where God, you can make a case that God is, has physical body parts and they're very strangely sized. So Isaiah 40 verse 12 says uh, that um, it, well, it talks about measuring the heavens and that God measured the heavens by the span of his hand. So how big is his hand now? His hand would have to be from one ice wall to the other, right? The end, that measure of the heavens. But then the earth is his footstool. So his feet are a lot smaller than that. Because I don't, I mean, <laughs> you can't put, I can't <laughs> put my feet on a footstool that's only the size of my hand very easily. Right. And then heavens is thrown. So his, so, I mean, his throne is about as big as his hand span. So he's got this giant hand. He's got little feet, you know, corresponding to the size of his hand. And he's on a throne that's about the size of his footstool as well. It's a little strange. First Kings 8.27 says this, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I've built. Solomon here built the temple and he's like, hey, you couldn't fit here. Heaven couldn't contain you. But wait, if we read Isaiah 66.1 as a literal description of the earth as a footstool and heaven as his throne, then heaven does contain you. I mean, who sits on a chair that doesn't contain them unless they're massively obese? It just doesn't, it's not how it works. So what we're getting here is that when um, when the Bible speaks poetically here, yeah, heaven's your throne or it's your footstool. But when it speaks about God's actual transcendence, right, that's where he says, hey, yeah, your presence will be here, but you couldn't be limited by any anything in creation. You're 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 above and beyond it all. And so mm -hmm. that's the, the transcendence of God. So these footstool verses, I think, um, fail because they don't. Number one, they don't deal with the the uh, everything evenly. Heaven's not a throne now, but earth is a footstool, literally. Uh, and they don't deal consistently with scripture, which says things like God doesn't fit on heaven or his hand span is the size of the earth. You know, mm. it's kind of weird. Gotcha. Gotcha. And just so you know, too, I mean, we're, we're covering a lot of topics here and there's no way that we could uh, encompass every single topic and every single uh, that could be a 10 part podcast, honestly. And again, we're just focusing, focusing specifically on uh, different proof texts. So one of them uh, that we unfortunately didn't have, have the time to truly cover in this podcast, although we would have we would have wanted to. Uh, was a couple different areas, including uh, the aspects of the firmament. So uh, when this podcast drops, uh, we'll have some additional content on thecultishow.com. When you go, if you go to our blog, by the time right now when you're listening to this podcast, you will actually have some articles up there uh, on the firmament. You can definitely take a look at, and you can feel free to give uh, comments on our social media about what you, whether you agree or disagree on that. Also, uh, specifically, uh, the passage, it's a story of when... Um, Moses is holding up the staff and Joshua is fighting and uh, there's a battle going on and basically the sun stands still. Uh, that is typically used to say, to, to use as, to prove the uh, flat earth model. So we'll, we'll, we're going to take a look at that as well too, along with a couple other things we're not going to be able to cover just for the sake of time. So just, uh, if you want to definitely check that out, go to thecultishow.com and you can check out our blog and check that there. Um, so the next category, I think this is really big. In fact, I just pulled up, you know, a, uh, just one of the examples of what people believe the flat earth model to be. And they truly do believe that, you know, there's the earth, <clears throat> there's the underworld 
and there's these pillars that you know hold up this model of the flat earth and so what ends up being used uh for that are uh passages about the pillars of the earth so this is just an example and again we're, we're again even if people who believe in a heliocentric model i think they're they're capable of trying to sometimes maybe if they want to argue with someone who adheres to a flat earth model. I mean, it's easy to swing the other way to try and find something in the Bible that talks about something spinning or something, you know, something that adheres to the heliocentric model, not thinking of context first. So that's just something to be wary of. But one of the verses that you mentioned uh, in your video and also that you I've seen as well too is uh, mentioning of the pillars of the of the earth. So 1 Samuel 2.8 says, He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts up the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. And there's a couple other, a couple other examples. So maybe if you can just elaborate on that. How, how did you see these from your perspective and all the research that you were doing? How do you see these contexts of the pillars of the earth being used? Uh, when it comes to people adhering to a flat earth model and is that a correct interpretation? And also how would we interpret that correctly, biblically? Um, well, the first thing I want to do is notice the context. And I noticed that cause you might say what, you know, here's one verse. How did these two ideas relate to each other? They're obviously related because the second sentence starts with the word for, right? For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's like, well, how does that relate to this? He raises up the poor from the dust he lifts up the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. This is implying that someone's being raised up into some sort of governmental power. And then the, in the response is for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. Now we've already seen how earth is sometimes used to talk about people. And I think in this, in this context, it's an analogy for what's happening here that the poor are inheriting a seat of honor. They're being lifted up. And the pillars here are the, the people in positions of leadership. David is the example in this case, just as uh, the apostles are called pillars in the church, you know, they're pillars. Mm -hmm. So that, I think it's just talking about leadership in this case. I, I really do. In this particular verse, that seems to be the only way to connect it to the idea that the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. He's the one who puts people in seats of honor. He can raise up princes. This is a theme a lot in the Old Testament, God and in the New, actually. And God is the one who's sovereign over who's leading the nations. Mm. Okay, great. And then, um, so another one that comes up as well, too, and this is, again, enough proof text to just get giving in context, uh, just Job 26.10 uh, says, He has inscribed a circle on the face of the waters at the boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. The, uh, at his rebuke. So the question is, I can see the appeal, you know, the, if you have this, it seems to be, too, and I've seen some of the videos too, where there's this excitement because I'm now understanding something in the Bible that I've never seen before. And all of a sudden, you all of a sudden it's like, oh, I just see that. And now this is describing, you know, this particular model and it goes against everything I've ever been taught. And all of a sudden there's this new unveiling. And I think a lot of times through that excitement, there tends to be a little bit of a I don't know, like emotional beer goggles of sorts, where you're not necessarily looking at the entirety of the context. So for anyone who would, if someone would look at you being a flat earther and they bring this up, like we mentioned Job earlier, like how would you respond to this? Or maybe explain 
the con- how do you think they're interpreting it? Like the what's the mindset of someone like this who adheres to a flat Earth model when they read Job twenty six ten? Like maybe take us into that world. How would you think that they're looking at this passage? Um, well, th- they're immediately thinking that it's fairly literal, and it's describing the entirety of all that all that you could call Earth in the broadest sense, right? So land, water, ice wall, edges. It's describing everything. Um, so it says he inscribed a circle on the face of the waters. They're talking about the the boundary between light and darkness. That that is seen as the edge on the outer edge of the entire flat earth. Uh, the pillars of heaven are seen as literal pillars, that there are actual pillars. Now they might be mountains, but they're mountains that actually get contact with like a solid dome that is over that is over our heads, you know, right on the very edges. Of things, so those are there are these pillars of heaven. Um, I think that context really matters, though. In Job, I think that it's Job is incredibly poetic. That's I know that sounds like a dodge to people because I see some people do that. Well, the Bible's being poetic there, and I'm like, come on, man! Like sometimes it's not; it's just telling you stuff. But in this case, Job is extremely poetic. It just really is throughout the entire book. We'll give more examples, you know, as we as we go on and talk of other places in Job where uh, even the most strict flat earth perspective would say, yeah, that's poetic. That couldn't be literal. Mm. So we'll show, and those are right alongside the same passages they used to, to say it's literal. Mm. So um, the literalism I think is being a bit forced. I think that, uh, I think that probably what the original readers would have thought was God's inscribed a circle on the face of the waters, the boundary between light and darkness. He's, they're just talking about the horizon around them. Uh, the, the, in fact, the, the boundary here on a flat earth perspective wouldn't even be water. It would be ice not water. So it's, again, that's a challenge to that view, but every use of pillars, it seems to just usually have these poetic contexts. I looked up, especially pillars of the earth, that phrase, I looked up every use in the Bible. And it seems like it has this poetic context over and over again. It's possible that pillars of heaven and Job are just talking about mountains themselves, you know, like, well, but those aren't functioning as literal pillars in a structure. And I'd be like, yeah, it's poetic. Like they're not functioning as literal pillars in this poetic passage. They're just these tall mountains that are uh, astounded at God's rebuke. Uh, other scriptures talk about the mountains shaking at God's rebuke. So I think that that could be just a reference to mountains in general. Yeah, no, that's good. In fact, we'll, we'll definitely elaborate on that more. So what we're going to do, uh, we're going to kind of wrap things up here. This is a good first part, kind of really um, kind of just looking at some basic verses. And so, again, if you if you're a, if you're a fan of the flat earth model, I guess you would say if you're kind of if you know, we love you, we care for you. And, you know, we appreciate you taking the time to listen to us. And we definitely would love to hear your thoughts specifically on the verses that we're bringing up. That That's what I think we would really like for you to do is take a look at it. You know, don't take our word for it. Let's test all things. It's a two-way street. Let's look at the scriptures, see uh, what they say. And let's, let's think to quote, to kind of uh, paraphrase from your channel, Mike, let's think biblically uh, for sure. Um, Andrew, do you have any last thoughts that we kind of wrap up the uh, first part of this podcast? Yeah, just real quick. I think what uh, Pastor Mike was bringing up is we we can't just knock something off always by saying, oh, it's poetry. But what we, what we got to understand is that it's poetry that's trying to communicate something specifically, right? We can't say, oh, we need to take this poetry literally to bring in something that's foreign to the body text of scripture. No, we got to say, yes, it's poetry, but the poetry is trying to explain something. And in the context of Job, it's not the cosmology of, uh, 
of the earth. It's just not. It's just a reply to one of his friends speaking in terms of the sovereignty of God, that this is the majesty of God. These are the things that he has done. It's just simply not biblical, like a, a cosmology, essentially. So I think right. that's very important. Definitely. All right. Welcome back to Cultish. My name is Jeremiah Roberts. I'm one of the co-hosts here. I am joined here by Andrew. Uh, we both have our trusted uh, Mike Winger coffee cups, uh, and Mike has his. Uh, we are here with Mike Winger once again from Bible Thinker, uh, talking about whether or not the Bible teaches that the earth is flat. Mike, how are you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing great. Awesome, man. I'm still, I, I'm just so excited to have this coffee cup. I mean, there's now just so many possibilities. I'm trying to <laughs> fathom all the different things that are going to be in this cup. Right now it's water. Tomorrow might be coffee. It might be some, coffee. might be some, uh, night tea or whatever. So I'm excited to have this coffee cup. So again, appreciate it. Possibilities are endless. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, speak of endless possibilities, uh, there tend people a lot of times think there's endless possibilities of how you can come to different conclusions about what the Bible, uh, talks about a different particular subject. Where in this case, we are talking about whether or not the Bible specifically talks about whether or not the earth is flat, whether or not it adheres to this specific model. So, again, if we what we're trying to do is just lay out certain verses that are brought up in uh, the whole flat earth conversation. And again, just for the sake of time, there are certain categories uh, we just didn't really have the time to get into and prep for our episode because we have things we're, we're working on with a little revamp of cultish. Mike, you've got your own stuff that you're working on. So specifically, um, there will be some articles if you when uh, right actually available right now uh, at the cultishshow.com uh, covering the firmament. Uh, kind of going into the original languages, explaining uh, different aspects of that in response to people saying that's talking specifically about uh, the in talking about the dome and also the story of when Moses was holding up a staff and that whole battle where Joshua had his whole army and the sun standing still. They're just we're going to be kind of dealing with a broad variety of things not brought up, expanding on this conversation. So it's just we're not avoiding that, just so you know, just for the sake of time. Sometimes with a production, there's certain things you can do and certain things you can't do, okay? If you don't understand that, start your own podcast and see how that goes, or your own <laughs> YouTube channel. So, yeah. uh, Mike, so anyone jumping in this definitely part two, just tell them again real quickly about uh, what you're all about and where they can find you if they want to see your other content. Yeah, my, my goal is to help people learn to think biblically about everything. That's my agenda. That doesn't mean that my teaching is 100% perfect. I'm, I'm sure it's not. I mean, not to my knowledge. <laughs> I don't know if errors I'm propagating, but, I, but we all make mistakes. My goal, though, is to show the process of how to evaluate scripture in context, to bring historical insights, and to try to demonstrate evidence along the way of how I'm getting where I'm getting so people can make informed decisions about what scripture says. I really believe the Bible is way better than people think it is. And um, it's a bigger <laughs> blessing, and, yes. it's, and it's, it's more evidentially true, and it's, it's better in just about every possible way then people give it credit for. And by diving deep into scripture, we get those blessings. And so I, I really want to help people learn to think biblically about everything. That, that's my whole agenda. And like when it comes to the topic of flat earth, that's the agenda here is I'm not interested in the science, to be completely honest. Uh, I'm not interested in any, any of those other aspects. I'm really just interested in are these proof texts that people use to say that the earth is, is flat, are they being taken in context? What is the Bible really saying on this topic? Right, exactly, and that and that's our and that's our focus as well too, and that's the thing we want. You know, again, if you're 
if you we had quite a few comments we initially announced this again uh and we get your passion behind it but we want the goal here is to think critically but to also think biblically when it comes to this so again that's going to be our primary focus so before we jump in uh just let me just get a couple let me let you know about a couple of the sponsors of this podcast it is uh brought to you by apologiastudios.com if you go to apologiastudios.com and you can become an all-access member, that supports the studio, which also supports Cultish, because our podcast would not be possible if it wasn't for everything uh, that the studio does in regards to the cameras, uh, the producers behind the scenes, and everything that makes this uh, production a reality. So you can also get some great content if you become uh, an all-access member and also will support the studio. Also, go to shopcultish.com. You can definitely check out all the cool multi uh, cultish uh, merch goodies we'll be having we'll, we'll finally be having more designs soon so definitely check that out also if you want to support cultish financially uh, you can go to the cultishshow.com you can go to the donate tab you can donate one time where you can also become a monthly partner and also if you have a beard or has a friend who has a beard you can go to forgebeardco.com forward slash cultish and get everything from beard wash to keep your beard clean beard oil to have it nice and shiny all the goodies for your beard, go to forgebeardco.com forward slash cultish. You'll support our good friend Jeremy Rule and his uh, this passion project of his. So definitely check that out. All right, so jumping into this, in the last part of the podcast, as we are uh, part one, again, this is part two of this discussion, we are looking at some of the proof text talking about the pillars of the earth. So if, honestly, if you just Google uh, flat earth, Bible teaching flat earth, you'll see the model of what it looks like. And usually at the bottom, depending on who it is, you'll see specifically these pillars that are at the bottom, really literally holding the earth up. So we looked at Psalm, uh, I'm sorry, look at 1 Samuel 2.8. We look at Job 26.10. One other uh, passage that is used is uh, Psalm 75 verse 2. Uh, And I'm just going to give you my, I'll read it and I'll give you my thoughts and you guys can uh, give me yours as well too. Uh, Psalm 75 uh, verse 2 says, A set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who steady its pillars. So I'm assuming according to this, it's it's they say, okay, well, there's pillars of the earth. Therefore, these are the pillars that are holding up the earth. So does this mean if you want to take the flat earth model to its logical conclusion? Again, I'm not trying. There might be people who give me a hard time saying I'm trying to straw man. I'm just trying to think through this interpretation. So is this saying that when the earth, earth totters and there's an earthquake, if it isn't for the Lord intervening, that those pillars at the bottom of the earth, it's going to collapse, like when Samson pushes it apart and the whole earth is just going to collapse in on itself? Um, is, is that what this specifically is saying? Um, honestly, I don't think that's the case. Again, if you look at the context, when you're looking at pillars, you're looking at the context of, of I would say, of rulers and because again, he's talking about it's God who judges with he's it's God who's judges righteously. He judges with equity. And so it's him versus the pillars of the world. At least that's a conclusion that I'm coming to. I don't think you can look at Psalm 75. And again, if you want to believe that model is correct, go ahead by all means and do it. We're not arguing against that. Yeah. I think what we're trying to say is you can't use Psalm 75 too to articulate that position. Right. Like maybe the most cautious way we could say it is if the earth had literal pillars and we had especially clear teaching in scripture that the earth had literal pillars, then a statement about 
the earth's pillars would be taken that way easily. But when you're when you're when your proof text, when the text you're getting to prove that the earth has literal pillars is coming from Psalms. I mean, it, it's it is poetry. This is intended to be poetry. There's tons and tons of poetic imagery in Psalms. Just imagine reading through Psalms and taking everything totally literally. Um, it's going to it's going to, you know, he shall be like a tree planted by streams of water. Well, where's the water? I'm going to turn into a tree, apparently, you know, or it just ends up being the wicked are, are, are like chaff, the wind blows away. Well, this is, there's a lot of symbolism and poetry throughout Psalms. So this doesn't seem like a good proof text. Um, he says, you know, he's going to judge, and there's gonna be this tottering of the earth and its inhabitants, and God's going to hold steady its pillars. This, this might be that God is uh, preserving through judgment, those who are who are in the right, right, those who are righteous. And that could be the holding steady of the pillars, because that, that's at least fits the context of Psalm 75. The whole Psalm does seem like it's not talking about like a cosmological descriptions of things. It's, I agree with you, it seems to be talking about leaders, or, or at least um, important individuals that God's singling out. Right. But even if you look in, and I just pulled up Psalm 75 here on my, and praise God for technology, uh, on my uh, iPhone, uh, so Psalm 75, if you just go down a little bit, and here's another example where you see some uh, sort of measurement language being used. And the question is, are we, how do we even interpret that? So later on in uh, Psalm 75, verse 6, just a couple of verses down, says, for not from east, for not from the east or from the west, and not from the wilderness comes lifting up. But it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. So what the emphasis is on, it's about righteous judgment versus unrighteous judgment. So the question is, if you're going to be taking things literally, um, so can you say that, is the, are they giving an actual geographical measurement? In this passage, for it is not from the east or from the west. So it's saying you have to make a measurement specifically in the eastern direction or the western direction. That's not the point of what this is talking about. This is a talking specifically about just the general known, like everywhere. You can't, don't look anywhere, don't look here, don't look there, but look to the Lord. Like that's right. what it's articulating. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I, I think that that's great. I, I, and I also think, you know, putting one down and lifting others up, we're talking about the tottering of some and the holding up of others. The, the, the symbolism seems to be about people, not not geography. Uh, but also keep reading verse eight. We, we shouldn't obviously take this literal. For in the hand of the Lord, there's a cup with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it. And all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. So God has a cup and everybody's going to drink out of the one cup if they're wicked. If you read on verse 10 says all the horns of the wicked will be cut off. Wait, so wicked people actually have horns. I mean, this proves it. Like, as I, in fact, I guess that's how I know they're wicked. They have horns. Oh, but wait, no, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted up. So I guess if your horns last, right, obviously it's not intended to be taken this way. This horns are speaking of pomp, are speaking of, of declaration of your own glory, of your own sort of the things that, uh, that represent your strength, right? But it's, it's not meant to be taken literal. So if I don't take the cup to be this literal thing, and I don't take the, the horns to be literal, I'm just being consistent when I look for uh, the term pillar to represent something about God judging the wicked and holding up the righteous. Mm. And yeah, that's good. I mean, yeah, that, part, yeah, part of, yeah, part of what I'm thinking uh, in general is, is if we're reading the Psalm like this, literally, we're actually missing out on what the ta the text is actually saying. That's a big deal because yeah. we want to know what the scripture says because it benefits us, right? It's like his word is a light into our feet. 
right? A light, we're lighting to our path. Like we want to know what the scriptures say, but if we're taking these things in their types, literally, you're actually not going to understand what scripture is communicating. And the Holy Spirit is trying to communicate something clearly to us, though it is in poetic language. There's actual meaning that has purpose that can change your life. That's in here in Psalm 75. But if you're taking these things literally, you're going to miss out on the actual meaning of the text. And I think that's a very dangerous thing. Don't you think that's dangerous, Pastor Mike? I absolutely do. And, and like you say, the what will happen is I'll read a passage like this and my emphasis becomes cosmology when God is speaking about be ready. I am going to judge the wicked. Like, and that's actually the emphasis here is it's a judgment discussion and about how he will lift up the righteous. So this is, a, is, is supposed to set ourselves up, you know, in our lives on this idea of future judgment, not a debate over cosmology where, where the term pillars is just being taken to mean something it doesn't seem to be talking about. Yeah. So let's uh, let's jump back over, Mike, to uh, something that you brought up in your video. I think this is actually a great verse, and people have mentioned this as well, too. Uh, the circle of the earth. Okay. Uh, so Proverbs 8.27. And this is actually one of my favorite passages, and it's weird for me because you ever have those verses that you go to, and it's like you always go to it because this is my favorite, you know, Jesus is God text, or this is my favorite text to say that you know, God is sovereign or whatever. But all of a sudden, for whatever reason, someone brings it in the conversation. Now it's like you're viewing it in a totally different light. I feel like this is for Proverbs 8.27. I'll explain that. So Proverbs 8.27 says, When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle in the face of the deep, when he was made firm from the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, emphasis, when he assigned the sea to his limit so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And so prior to even this whole conversation about the flat earth, this passage for me would always come up when I was talking to different cultists, for example, Jehovah's Witnesses and the Trinity and the deity of Jesus, this specifically would come up. Like I see this has been one of my favorite passages to see really Christ uh, in like a, it's a, a appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. I love this verse. But so Mike, this is actually used to try and articulate a flat earth model. And there's certain things that are highlighted, specifically the fountains of the deep. So maybe you did your research, maybe you explain for us how are people, what conclusions are people who adhere to a flat earth model coming when they look at this passage and how should we interpret uh, Proverbs 827 from your perspective? Um, so the, my understanding is they'll, you know, look at this passage and they'll notice like the circle of the earth, the fountains of the deep, the, and especially the earth has foundations. It specifically mentions foundations of the earth. Um, and so they take those to be physical foundations um, under under the under the surface area. Now, um, there it also deals, of course, with he made firm the skies above, which is one of those passages they'll use to say there's a solid dome over the earth. You're going to have content that deals with that on on you know that you'll put up with the show as well, so people can talk about that. I think for the sake of today, I just want to acknowledge to people: look, whether you believe the the firmament is solid or or not. You still have not answered the question of a flat earth. The, the, do you, I'm just saying this is actually a different question because you could have a solid dome firmament over a globe or 
something else. It, it just doesn't answer the question. So this I see as a distraction for the question we're dealing with today. So I understand a, a worry that people will have um, that I'd respond and be like, well, it's poetry. Like it's my magic wand. Poetry, and it just yeah. goes away. <laughs> um, yeah, but but I, I think the question we have to ask first is: Is it poetry? <laughs> like Proverbs eight is poetry. I mean, Proverbs the book is poetry, but Proverbs th this whole section about wisdom and the woman there is is very much poetic, and um, like Job is not to be taken literally in all of its poetic descriptions. This is talking about wisdom as if wisdom was a woman who was there when God created the earth, and there may be some typological significance with Christ, but personally, I wouldn't call it an appearance of Jesus. I, I would, I would say we could, we could try to find typology here, Yeah. but typology is different than saying, um, wisdom literally is this woman who's with, cause it's, it's feminine here throughout the Proverbs. Wisdom is seen as, as a woman yeah. describes wisdom as a woman. Um, so if we take this as a, a literal woman called wisdom was there, then we have a bunch of issues that I'm just going to add. I'm going to say, hey, if you're going to take it that way, and then and then we're going to take the whole section as, as quite literal, then we have several issues we should consider. Um, if God literally has created literal foundations, at least because I, I could see foundations on a globe or a flat earth, I could see foundations on both of those. I wouldn't really have a problem with that term. Or fountains of the deep, which could just be under underground springs. Um Easily, the Bible talks about underground springs. We know that there's such a thing as underground springs as well. Circle on the face of the deep could be the horizon, or it could be like a circle across, which would not. I don't know if it's that on the face of the deep, or is a circle on the, on the um, on the ice wall. It's not really in the water. It's yeah. on the ice. So I'm still confused by that. But the, um, but the, the discussion here also says that God measured things. He marked out the foundations of the earth. That is, he he measured it. So did God have a giant measuring tape that he used to actually measure the earth? He marked it out. He set a line upon it is, is depending on your translation you've got there. No, we would say, oh, that's just, that's just poetic. It's just representing that God determined the measurements of all things. Okay. So it's not literal there because mm -hmm. God's omniscient. He, he spoke it into existence. Like from the script, from this text, you would think that God was like a builder who was measuring and building and constructing something. Yet from Genesis, you would think he just spoke it into creation. Right. right. Yeah. But that's because this is not meant to be taken that way. But let me give you more before mm. you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, any pushback or thoughts? You yeah, yeah. So Proverbs 8 verses 1 through 3. This is also a description of wisdom, right? This is the same chapter. This is the beginning of the section that we just read. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights besides the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. Should I think that wisdom is literally yelling at all of the gates of the cities? Right. Like there's like this literal woman there, wisdom, going like, hey, listen to me. Uh, no, <laughs> obviously not. I mean, obviously this is poetic. It's not meant to be taken yeah. that way. Where are wisdom's gates? Look at uh, Proverbs 8.34. We're, we're going to go to just past the section we read. It says, blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. Well, obviously, here we have construction descriptions, gates and doors. Like uh, if, if you take a flat earth perspective, you're going to take all these things literally here. So where are wisdom's gates and doors? And how do I go stand by them so I can get so I can be wise, so I can be blessed? Mm -hmm. It was obviously it's not meant to be taken that way. I think we're just 
mishandling the text. Right, exactly. And uh, Andrew, you gave me your thoughts too. I mean, it's one thing that kind of comes to mind when I'm kind of looking through what is being discussed. You're looking at just the intricacies in regards to God's creation. So when it says, um, uh, when it says, there I was beside him, like a master workman. And even if you think like during the ancient times, you think of somebody who was a stone carver. You know, I'm thinking of, what was the Ten Commandments? In the Ten Commandments, they had Joshua, who was like the stone cutter, right? And so he was, uh, you know, you think about it in ancient times, there's someone who has whatever tools that they use to be a master workman. On any level, when Christ went, when, mean, when the world was being created, like the context of this, does this mean that there were these particular ancient tools that were used to like form the earth together? Like, no, it's talking like there's out like a master workman. It's giving, it's correlating with somebody who that's like, it's helping them understand their native tongue, like what that passage is saying. So that's a case where I think you can't take it literally. So, um, one thing that also like sticks out to me, and again, this is also an example you mentioned like in Job, uh, where you need to think about it. And again, it's not just a cop-out or caveat. We want to, again, think biblically when it comes to these proof texts. So uh, Isaiah 40.22, uh, it says, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. So from my understanding, Mike, so the debate over this passage in when in this whole flat earth discussion is that when it talks about the circle of the earth, so if you were to actually view if indeed the flat earth model is correct from from a, from the aerial view, it, it's circular. That's that's the understanding and then the bottom we mentioned earlier those are the pillars that that hold it up. That is that what they're trying to argue? Yes, and it will, but it will get a little challenging because on some flat Earth models, there's also corners right on the Earth because because this is what happens when you take all these passages literally and they're not intended to be that way. So yeah, that's that's the idea though. You know, there's a circle and there's like a dome over it. Uh, the outside of the edge of the circle is this ice wall, and then there's just nothing after that, right? Right. At least nothing nothing that we would call Earth. Yeah. Mm, okay, and so. From that understanding, so here's an example. So for someone who's using this as a proof text then to say, hey, this is emphatic proof that, you know, the this is what the Bible teaches. And if you hold to another, like a heliocentric model, you're incorrect, you're being, you're unbiblical. Uh, how do you respond? Like, how would you explain uh, this passage as well to how should we think about this biblically? Uh, well, you know, on the flip side, I've heard globe earth perspective people say hey um isaiah 40 22 that word circle it refers to a three-dimensional ball it's it's actually saying this is this is a proof text for demonstrating that the earth is a globe and um i'm 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 kind of on the fence on this actually uh for a couple reasons one is i don't know that it's actually trying to give us a description of the entirety of all that is earth in the most broad sense i don't know that it's trying to do that in the first place it could be a two-dimensional view of a three-dimensional object you could say oh yeah there are other words in, in Hebrew that could be used there. It just ends up being a, a debate. I don't know how to get to the conclusion of personally yeah. yet. Maybe someone else does. I'm just on the fence a bit on that. The word's indeterminate in my opinion. But I think it's actually phenomenological, which is to say, um, as, as we get continually in the text, we're not getting just we're not getting people trying to describe the nature in the in the look from space at at Earth. What are we looking at? We're rather getting people who are describing 
from an earthly perspective as they look around what they see. So it's the phenomenon that they're, they're observing. This is why it's, it, it discusses things the way it does. So what's this, what would the circle of the earth be? I think it's just when you stand up and you have an open field around you and not a city full of buildings. If you stand up, mm-hmm. you look around and you see a circle. It's a horizon that's around you. And God sits above the circle of the earth. He's sovereign. He's exalted above all that you see. Does it mean to tell us that at the, at, at the edge of what you see all around you, that's the edge of everything? I don't think it's meaning to comment on this at all. It's just saying, you know, here's the horizon. Wherever you look, God is sovereign. For the person who, who takes the flat earth perspective and they take this to mean flat disc, there's a challenge for them. And I'll present this to us. I think this is something that they'd really have to be challenged on. Right. They, if they take the word circle and they go, well, in the Hebrew, this means a flat disc. It's telling us the, the, the shape of the earth in the broadest sense. The same word circle is used to describe heaven. In Job 22, 14, mm-hmm. we read it. It says, thick clouds veil him so that he does not see, and he walks on the vault of heaven. Now, it's translated here as ESV, vault, but it's the same word in the Hebrew. But every flat earth person I've ever seen thinks that heavens, we're talking about a dome. Mm-hmm. And so here they think this word, this circle word must be a dome. But then later in Isaiah, they're going to use it to mean it has to be a flat disk because of the nature of the word so this is just not how we, we can't be logically consistent what we should do is say this word has a variety of meanings it could go either way i don't know i think it's just talking about the horizon gotcha you know? gotcha andrew do you have any thoughts on this what are your thoughts so far it just blows my mind how amazing god has constructed his word in to the fact where if people are trying to put an outside standard into his word to interpret it that the word itself will typically refute the standard when you're just doing a deeper exegesis or having a correct hermeneutic with your approach to scripture, typically other places in the Bible will show you, God will correct you by showing you these things that you're not being logically consistent. And I think that's a, that's a great thing to have. I mean, God's word just blows my mind. It's just amazing. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I definitely uh, would agree uh, for sure. And so I think that's, again, we, we'll have some more additional content on this, but again, we, we what you do, the point in being and bringing up these particular areas is that when, regardless of whether it's uh, flat earth, regardless if it's anything that's brought up, when someone is trying to give proof text to prove their point, it's important to look at the context. So again, I think ultimately, when it, at least my per, my personal opinion is that I don't think the Bible adheres towards a globe model or any particular model. I think the Bible ultimately, a lot of that is used as a catalyst to declare the glory of God as him being the, the sovereign overall creation that in creation emphatically declares his glory. And I think ultimately the Bible gives us the preconditions of intelligibility to think scientifically and to kind of and understand the true world around us. And so that's that's really my personal conclusion when it, when it comes to all this. But again, our focus is, uh, and again, I'm, that could be a catalyst into a whole other subject when it comes to this whole discussion of flat earth. But our point, again, is just to look specifically um, uh, context-wise. So another uh, proof text, again, because we we're talking about the ends of the earth, and Mike, you're talking as well to the corners of the earth. So here's a passage. Uh, and again, this is regardless of where you stand eschatologically, uh, this is it's important uh, to understand what is being articulated here. So Revelation chapter one, uh, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter seven, verses one through four says, after this, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, 
holding back the four winds of the earth, and that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against uh, any tree. So this is a verse then in your research then that would come up as as, as also an additional proof text, because I was seeing some graphics even in that pulled up that was talking about a map of and stationary earth where people were showing there's literal corners of the earth. Uh, what are your thoughts right. on that? Yeah. So, I mean, if, you know, what we're there, the habit, I hope we're seeing here, the consistent habit of those who've uh, tried to use the Bible to support a flat earth perspective is taking descriptions in a very literal sense. This is, this is the two habits I see one, take it very literally and two, apply it to the entirety of earth in the modern sense of the planet or whatever you want to call that. Right. Not just land or local area or area that you can see which is how the Bible usually uses it, um, but rather applied to everything. So notice the, the term earth here in Revelation 7, 1 through 4, the angels standing at the four corners of the earth, okay? But then if you read on in the verse, it says that no wind might blow on earth or sea. Wait, or sea? Isn't earth the whole thing? Isn't it everything? Why does it say or sea? Isn't earth sea just part of the earth? Well, again, we're seeing it's just, we're just reading too much into the passage. Um, this has challenged some flat earthers though, because now if you're going to take it this way, you have to say that the earth has corners, yet the earth is a circle. So it's a circle and it has corners. So you get these interesting ways of trying to put this together. And I don't even know how to interpret some of these images because I'm like, okay, so there's like a circular earth with an ice wall that you can't go beyond. And that's the edges of the earth. But beyond that, there's these corners and the earth is square or, you know, almost cube-like, uh, an uneven cube or whatever. I don't know what you, what, yeah. what do you call that size? I don't know what that's called, mm-hmm. <laughs> but a cube in thirds. And there you go. Yeah. Um, and this, this becomes uh, like seen as a literal thing. There's literally four angels literally standing there. This is what happens when you use poetic language to influence your cosmology. It, it's not the point of the text. It starts to get difficult. You can't glue it together because it was never intended to be that kind of picture. I think that Isaiah 11 challenges the idea that there are literal corners. So let me read to you guys Isaiah 11, 12. It says, he will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Now, why would I quote a verse that says corners of the earth to say the earth doesn't have literal corners? Because here the text is talking about gathering them from local countries that aren't really that far away, actually. Mm. So the corners of the earth here is like countries 500 miles away, a thousand miles away. It's not talking about the entire planet or whatever you want to call that. Um, you, you have to, you'd have to make these corners like in the image that you, you have there, you have to make these corners inhabited countries now where Israelites are being gathered from that, yeah. you know what I mean? It's, it's like, wait a minute, that's, this is not working. Cause I thought we couldn't go, go over there in the first place. That's part of the whole idea. Um, another verse from it for this is Matthew 24, verse 31. It says, and he will send out his angels, Jesus speaking, with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now, it's clear in the context is it's people that are being gathered. These are, these are people that, that know Jesus, right? These are saved people, and they're being gathered from habited lands. These are countries all over the place, which is, again, an amazing prediction that Christianity is going to spread all over humanity. Mm-hmm. But this is just generic language for all over the place, from the right. four winds, four corners of the earth. We even have um, specific countries that are mentioned in scripture that are said to have corners from the four corners of and it's, and it's a country. So mm-hmm. 
those countries aren't squares that have like they have to have actual four corners it just means all over north south east west it's just generic language yeah and and then usually like in the flat earth model usually the the country the continents they're all kind of centralized and then if you look at it from a aerial perspective it's usually the ice wall like on the very outskirts but Mm -hmm. then out to the out to the pretty much the ice wall it's pretty much just water and all all the continents are centralized that's that's the you that's usually at least what i've seen so to try and say like with this it would make isaiah 11 12 very problematic because how do you gather Israel from unless there's like some water world scenario where you have, you know, people on these sort of floating, whatever, like out, out on the outskirts, yeah. you start to really jump into hermeneutical gymnastics for sure. Yeah. They're not even being gathered from beyond the Middle East. Right. At that point. And so we're, we're looking at, yeah, Isaiah 11 talks about the Middle East as the four corners of the earth. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't mean planet when it says Earth. It doesn't mean everything. It just it's a term that has a variety of meanings. And from the perspective of of the original writers, if you're if you're living around Jerusalem, you're like, yeah, look, if you go walking around in the Middle East, Babylon feels pretty far away, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're not looking at it from space and thinking of the Earth as this little thing on a paper in front of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And again, and I think you emphasize that uh, as far as too when you mentioned to the foundations of the Earth. So again. You know, you mentioned like Micah six two, uh, Isaiah fifty one six, where this language is used. Like you need to understand the broader context. Like these are not it, these purposes. If you, when you look at the like, read the entirety of these. Like the, read the full chapter, and what you'll see is that there's not a specific cosmology given, as much as the discussion of the earth is a catalyst to declare the power and the glory of God. Like that's that's what you're seeing, and I think when you start. Getting into the specific, if you try, start focusing on the specifics, oh, this means it's this particular model. In this case, being the flat Earth model, I think you're losing sight of what that passage is trying to articulate, and that's why it's important, regardless of what the topic is, you go through chapter by chapter, you know, verse by verse. Like, don't read things in isolation. Look at the in the same way. You want to zoom out, look at the big picture when it come when it comes to the text. Uh, another. So- yeah, go ahead. Well, there's there's one verse we didn't cover yet, but it was about uh, it has to do with bases, the earth having bases and a cornerstone and a foundation, mm. and it's in Job 38. Yeah. Did you want to go over that one? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. That's good. So I think it it combines a bunch of different things and it shows the, yeah, it's 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 a good it's a good one. Now these these are verses that uh, proponents had have used. Like I've heard these used. I got them all from them. I didn't just make them up. So. Job 38 verses four through seven, it says, where does God speaking to Job again? Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who determined its measurements, surely, you know, or who stretched the line upon it. Again, we have a picture of God putting a line out on the earth, which would, you're like, he literally did it. If you're going to take it all literal here, then he did it. Mm -hmm. He put a giant line. How long was that line? Where is it now? Where did it come from? Why did he have to do it? On what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, from a flat earth perspective, there's a literal foundation with a literal cornerstone somewhere on the earth. Right. And all you have to do is keep reading. Okay, so here's me. I'm just going to keep reading. Here's the next few verses. Totally in context, just starting with the next verse. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst open from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors 
and said, thus far you shall come and no farther. And here shall be your, shall your proud waves be stayed. Now, if you want to take this poetic description in Job as literal, then you, you got to go whole hog and you got to believe that the sea has literal bars and doors that keep the waves from coming up onto the coasts. Right. Literal bars and literal doors, because there's a literal foundation and a literal cornerstone. There's got to be a literal measuring line. We have to be consistent. It, the text seems to be very clearly indicating that's not the meaning of it, right? Um, you have to believe that where ocean meets land, God put literal bars and doors. Mm -hmm. This is easily testable and, and known at the time, right? They had coasts accessible to them right. as they're reading this. He, it's, it's, it's using picturesque language of bars and doors to talk about how God sovereignly set up things so that the oceans stop so that we could have land so that we could have society so we can have all these things you know there's like a, there's an order to stuff and we give god credit for that so you can go back to that cornerstone passage um in isaiah thir or job 38 here if it's a literal cornerstone you have to believe in a literal gigantic measuring tape that god used in sizing the earth because in the same verse he says who stretched the line upon it mm. right? did this did the ocean come from a giant womb right because that's what the text says here in verse eight the sea burst from a womb that's mm. interesting. Like, who's that? Whose womb was that? <laughs> exactly. No, it's just poetic language to discuss the nature of things. So it's rich poetry not to be taken literally. And I think that's the case with things like foundations. Although in my opinion, you, you could have an earth with foundations, no matter what shape it is. All you need is large amounts of solid material underneath the surface dirt and the mm. earth has foundations. So that doesn't seem like it proves much to me. Right. No, yeah. exactly. And then, and even for example, and this is just example, when you look at what you're trying to, you're trying to prove a point. I think this is the case with what we're trying to, what we're seeing from our perspective is that we're seeing where there's a commitment to this is, this is the definitive model of what the earth is. Let's find verses that have a word that kind of backs up this general model. Uh, and then, but you're not really looking at what's your what's your ultimate conclusions the things you actually have to accept along with that because if you're going to accept this type of interpretation then there's other things you have to account for like the line going through and things like that as well too um and this jerry, is just jerry jerry, jerry, yeah. jerry real quick real quick i think part of what i find extremely interesting is the fact that you know that there aren't these big doors stopping the sea from going on the earth because you can see it right you can actually see it i think part of the issue with uh some of the flat earth uh, conspiracy is the fact that they believe that the earth, the earth is a disc because they have not seen what the actual earth looks like. No one's actually been to space, right? So everything that we see of the earth, everything that we see of uh, space, there's some type of uh, computerized image or something or the other. So there's right. no proof essentially to them that it has never been seen. Well, the question I would have for you guys is I understand why on your flat earth models, you don't put big doors on the edge of the seas because you can see the seas. Right. But have you ever seen the bottom of the ocean? Personally, have you been to the bottom of the ocean? How do you know there's no doors on the bottom of the ocean? Right. Why don't, why don't, why aren't those on the flat earth models? All of the images you see of the bottom of the ocean, did, did you actually visit it? Or you have know, you seen the specific pillars, you know, which right. apparently, you know, there's these giant, which means that they're on you know, the bottom of earth. There's just these giant, you know, gaps of open space. Cause that's what a pillar is. It holds up a foundation. And so it's kind of like they're making that model, but they're not, it's that I think a lot of times people will make an argument, but they're not truly 
accounting, like they'll, they'll use that against the person that they're arguing against, not realizing, well, well, can you actually account for that as well too? You know, I think, and this is a total, a different category, Mike, and you can give your thoughts on this too. It's that, you know, when people will argue against a mostly charged argument about, you know, Anne Frank, you know, why did, why did, Anne, why would God allow the Holocaust to happen and for Anne Frank to go through uh, what she went through? Well, if you have your worldview still has to account for that. I mean, you, you have to, at some point, all right, let's, let's take out the Christian worldview. Like how, how do you account for that? Congratulations. You refuted Christianity. Well, now you have, now you have to account for, you know, if you're arguing from the point of being an atheist, well, okay, well, what's, where's the ethic wrong that that survival of the fittest going to this logical conclusion? What are you, what are you complaining about? So I think a lot of times people don't really look at, what you're actually trying to articulate. And even uh, the breadth of the earth, for example, you know, regardless of where you understand, you know, where you stand in eschatology, whether you have more of a, of a partial preterist view or a futurist view of revelation. Again, when you look at, uh, and you mentioned this too, Mike, in revelation uh, 20 verse seven through nine, this is something that's brought up as well too. Um, when it's talking about Satan uh, being loosed out in his prison and, sh- and he shall go out to deceive the nations and that are in the four, uh, quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, and then it talks about, uh, and then to gather them together in battle, the number of them uh, of whom is in the land of the sea, and they went out to the breadth of the earth and encompassed the camp of and the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And so, even in this, and Mike, you can give me your thoughts too, like regardless of where both any eschatological position. Like, it's not arguing for a, co- a specific cosmology. You know, even if you go to, like, the MacArthur Study Bible or somebody who holds to a dispensationalist view of Revelation, that's not arguing for a cosmology. If you have, you know, if you believe that the majority, you know, we would hold to that the majority of Revelation is already fulfilled, right? And that's, that's a whole other discussion uh, we could have at some point. But the point in being is that the context, eschatologically, it's not arguing for a cosmology. So you can, you can, again, you can hold to that model if you want to. You can't use, for example, like that passage in Revelation, regardless of what your eschatology is, to try and say, this is God showing that this is his model of the earth. That's my thought yeah. on it. Yeah. Like, like, and just so people get, cause we're, <laughs> we're grabbing all these passages and going, oh, that's not cosmology. That's cosmology. There are times where the Bible is just speaking plainly, literally about things, you know, so when it when it says yeah. like in John, well, there was a pool of uh, Bethesda had five porches, uh, pool of uh, where is it? Uh, not Bethesda. What am I trying to say there? Anyway, someone's someone's we've been talking right for a while. Listening. It's, it's all someone's good. They're going like, how did you get yeah. that wrong? Right. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, archaeologists have discovered this thing. Originally, they thought, oh, this is there, there was these weird theologians, <laughs> Germans. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. hey, I love Germans. Don't get me wrong. I think Germans are great. <laughs> yeah. But there's German theologians from like the 1700s who were just wacko. Yeah. And uh, these guys were like, well, John is doing an interesting thing about the Pentateuch. There's five porches because there's five books, you know, in the, in, in, in the law. And, uh, you know, that, that's the reason. And then they go digging in Jerusalem and they're like, oh, there's just five porches there. You know? mm-hmm. So that's just talking about a literal description for sure and physical things that happen there. Um, but what, what we see in this passage of Revelation 20 Verses seven through nine, it's really interesting. Uh, it's partly interesting because it would never occur to anybody that this passage has affirmed cosmological anything about the earth normally, I think, right? Unless someone's probably telling them it does. So the indications are, well, there's four quarters of the earth, 
there's nations that are in quote four quarters of the earth and then they're going to be gathered together for battle and then they're going to go up on the quote breadth of the earth and then they compass about the camp of the saints around jerusalem for a battle and uh well dean odell who's you know was a uh, is or was i don't know a big proponent of the flat earth views he says well this is this word for the breadth of the earth it's the word platus in greek and that word it's it represents uh, a flat earth because it's where we get our english word plateau now this has like 30 problems with it when you actually evaluate the claims because first off even okay where we get our english word in a modern like okay so we've heard this i've you know calvary chapel pastor i heard this a million times we get our we get the word the greek word dunamis that's for power the power of the spirit will come upon you well that's our english word dynamite we get the word dynamite from which is true we do get dynamite from dunamis but there was no dynamite in first century greek and so nobody's thinking about that when they're writing it who cares what your english 2000 years later we borrow this word for this purpose it just doesn't matter but the second problem with it is if it's a plateau, like nobody says, do you see that plateau? And then their friends turn them and go, are you affirming the flatness of the entirety of earth? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, it's a plateau. I just mean it's right. a plateau. I, I'm not saying anything about cosmology here. I just look, mm. there's a plateau. So just finding the word plateau connection there wouldn't mean anything. If you take the breadth of the earth to be a plateau, then all this means is that the army went up on a plateau. Right. Unless you take the word earth to mean the entirety of earth, in which case you have an army that is literally covering, covering the whole earth, including the oceans, because they're saying the earth is flat and they mean all of it. Um, so it just, it just starts to be like, what is going on here? How are we interpreting this? But Dean Odell presents this in his teaching, like he's discovered this amazing thing. And he's like, I looked into Strong's. I looked into Strong. Okay, Strong's is not the best resource out there. I, I used to think it was when I first was dabbling in really serious Bible study. Mm -hmm. And then I found out it's a, it's a, it's a good resource, but it's not what people think it is um, a lot of the time. So are there actual nations then on each of these corners of the earth? And then they're gathering up and they're going up on a La plateau earth, the breadth of the plateau of the earth. It just, right. it doesn't mean <laughs> that. They, they, this is an army that covers the entire planet, flat planet earth, and then gathers around Jerusalem based upon say, Dean Odell's interpretation of this passage, when in reality, in in a you know in ancient warfare, it, you need flat areas to stage your armies. This is just how you stage an army. You don't stage them on a mountain. Like you stage your army on a flat area. Like mm. Watch Lord of the Rings, okay? <laughs> yeah. You stage your army on a flat area, and then they go to war. And this is what they're doing. They're marching. Maybe at the Valley of Megiddo. There's connections there in Scripture. Okay. This is a tip. This is a frequently used area for staging armies for battle in the area of Israel. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's probably all that's happening here. Right. Yeah. And even for example, here's one as well too. And Andrew, you can kind of give me your thoughts too if you have any uh, thoughts on these verses as well. Is you know con again context matters. So uh, one of the categories too is that Daniel 4:11, uh, which says the tree grew and became strong. And its top reached the heaven and was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of heaven of the heavens live in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. Uh, verse 20 says, And the tree you saw which grew and became strong, so, so that its top reached the heaven 
that is visible to the end of the whole earth. And so even something like this, and I can get for someone who is, again, and I've watched those videos, and I pre, and again, I appreciate the, the passion that they have. And again, you know, the thing that they, at least they're right on when it comes to people who adhere to the flat earth model, that they're, <clears throat> they're passionate about God's word being true and it having the say in, in, in areas of life. And in, in this case, the creation, I get that. I think, it, it, but at the expense, but you're, you're jumping into that at the expense of context. So even Daniel 4.11, like this is a dream that Daniel's having. And even, and I'll, I mean, I'll admit, I've had some weird dreams and one of the things of dreams that it's always, you're always doing something weird. Like you get into a fight, like every single time when I'd be in a, uh, in my dream, whenever I'd be in a situation where like I'm fighting for my life, all of a sudden I would, I would be in like in slow motion. I couldn't move. And all of a sudden I'd be going there. Or then, you know, I would, I would have a dream where I, I'd be like falling. And as soon as like I land, I hit the ground, like I wake up, but it would be sometimes I would speed up really, you know, I'd slow down and then speed up when I'm falling all these weird things. And then once you realize you're in a dream, like you wake up. So the, the very idea of a dream, like, the conditions of a dream is that you're, you're seeing things that aren't, you're, they aren't normal. Like you're, you're the metaphysics right. of being in a dream is different than being alive here in the earth. So people have like context does matter in that, in that regard. Yeah. It, you know, to take Daniel four eleven as saying, Hey, if a tree is visible all over the earth and that means it's a flat, flatter that doesn't work on a globe. I'd be I, well, like, well, that, you know, I agree that doesn't work on a globe. It doesn't really work. I don't think on, in in real life, I mean, I can't see Mount Everest, no matter how powerful my telescope is. So, I don't see how that works. But that's kind of like saying, imagine if you will a flat Earth. It's true now, <laughs> mm-hmm. because Daniel four eleven or four, you know, this whole section is uh, these are the visions of my head. It's described as the visions of my head. So we shouldn't take that as literal cosmological descriptions. Uh, does Jacob's dream of a ladder, right? Does that mean that angels have to climb up ladders to get to heaven? Is right. that what that means? <laughs> like, does, does Joseph's dream about the sun, moon, and stars bowing down to him, does that mean that his dad, Israel, is literally the sun? Right. Does that, is that what it means? Does Nebuchadnezzar's dream mean that Jesus is going to return as a literal, gigantic meteor? Mm. <laughs> Obviously not. Like, this, yeah. this is all, and that's part of this, the, the, the same set of, just visions and dreams that's in Daniel kind of clustered together. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think, I mean, this it's a dream. Like that's what are we supposed to do? It's a dream. Yeah. Right. And see, in like, in when I, when I think of this passage, I think of other conspiracies, like the giant silica trees that <laughs> a lot of people believe used to be massive and would grow all across the, the earth. Um, they would say that, uh, what is that rock in Australia? That, that crazy mound looking rock that used to be the base of this giant, massive silica tree. But I think part of the root of the issue, which I was bringing up earlier was that, uh, if you haven't seen it, right. If you haven't seen it, uh, then you can take poetic language and make it to be literal. However, the poetic language that we see in other tests of scripture, talking about the bars of the doors, uh, on like the sea and the land, obviously you don't take that as poetic because your eyes have actually seen it. But I I find that that's an illogical way to interpret scripture. Because now you're breaking up one section of poetic language and then the next, because you're trying to right. make, use it to fit uh, something that's foreign to the actual full body of context of scripture. So if you're just trying to use something because it's convenient for you to try to prove a point, but you can't use that same logic to interpret the verse right underneath it, 
which is a consistent thought process, then it's probably not a good form of har- hermeneutics, in, in, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, Andrew, what, so one other question too, uh, we're kind of towards the end of just the verses we're going to cover. And again, uh, for those of you who are still hanging around again, thank you for taking the time to listen to us. We are going to have, we have blog con blog content available right now, um, at the cultishow.com under our blog, where we're going to be talking about issues of the firmament, uh, the story of Joshua where the sun stood still and a couple other, uh, verses that we didn't cover in this small, in, in this whole discussion. And so for any of you who adhere to this again, we love you guys. Uh, guys and gals, um, we, again, we're here, really the whole point of this is that we need to look at the Bible holistically and properly. And again, our, our, our gracious contention that we're trying to at least get here is that, you know, if you want to believe that, go like, go ahead, but you're not getting that from these proof texts. Like that's what we're saying. And so we're saying that you need to just look at what is the Bible actually saying and you need to look at holistically and look at the context. So uh, one of the last passages, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of uh, jump into this. Uh, one of the last ones here is the story. It's actually one of my favorite. I remember being as a kid being fascinated by this. It's the story of the temptation of Jesus. When Jesus goes out into the wilderness for 40 days, and then all of a sudden he's tempted by Satan in many particular ways, and Jesus combats him with Scripture. And then the final temptation is that, Jesus gets taken up to the high places and he says, all of these things I will give unto you if you if you bow down and worship me. And he sees all, I believe just all the treasures of the world is how it articulates it, just all, everything that the world can offer. Um, and then he said, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Andrew, what's, like when you read that, just from your perspective, just what do you see like when you read this whole passage about this temptation of Jesus and all of a sudden, you know, the final tent, the, the culmination of, of him being brought up to the high places. What, when you've read that initially and when you go through that, like, what do you see? What do you think is the main point of that story from your perspective? Yeah. The main point of that story from my perspective is that Jesus is succeeding where Israel has always failed. Uh, and he's being tempted yet he is without sin and he does what Israel always should have done. Right? Like Israel always built altars in the high places in the very land that God gave them, right? They are the great covenant breakers and I'm no better. I am a covenant breaker myself. I sin every single day. So I don't want to say anything in terms of saying I myself am better than ancient Israel. I'm not, but I do have the grace of God that is sufficient for me. But I see that in the fact that it's the God man, Jesus Christ, who succeeds in his righteousness in which I wear, where human humans fail where humans fail. But thinking as it, thinking of this text as a, if I was to think of someone who held like the flat earth model, I'd have to say there's got to be some mountain in the world that we can go to that we can see and we can stand there and see everything. But is there? Right. But is there? You actually have the ability now to do that. Go climb the top of Mount Everest. It's the tallest mountain we have. Can you see everything there? Or do you believe that everything you've seen on Mount Everest is actually not a real photo of Mount Everest? That it's all just, uh, I don't even know how you'd say it, like fake photographs or these people never really actually went there, that it's just a stage in a Hollywood set in order to make you think that you can't actually see everything. Because I think that's what you'd have to do if you hold to a flat earth model. Or anyone who's ever taken a picture on the top of Mount Everest to use a fish lens camera. So they're they're fake. Yeah, it's fake, Jerry. It's fake. That's again, we're just showing the logical conclusion. But anyways, yeah, that's what I've seen. In fact, like when I look at this passage too, I mean, I just see really the sovereignty and the supremacy of Christ. And also I see really the importance and maybe what we're talking about in this whole conversation. Again, Mike, thanks for 
uh, we, we appreciate you coming on here, is just the importance of the authority of Scripture, that Jesus never appealed to his own authority. He had always appeared to, he'd always appear uh, to authority outside of himself. And so he's not saying to Satan because I said so. He quotes to him Scripture uh, specifically. But um, yeah, Mike, as we wrap up here, maybe give me your thoughts too on this passage, um, how you saw this being used particularly when it came to your research in the initial video that you did. And then, and how should we look at this whole story of you know Jesus being brought up into the high places and being and having this uh, you know, interaction with Satan? How should we look at this? Well, I, I mean, I agree with Andrew's summary. It's beautiful and perfect. Yeah, this, these are the high places. Jesus succeeds where Israel compromised. You know, uh, Jesus uh, doesn't compromise with the making making these stones into bread. You know, Israel compromises with like, we're sick of this, this manna, give us meat. No. You know, wherever they fail, Jesus succeeds. Here he is in the wilderness overcoming. And um, it's it's awesome. I love it. I think, you know, the theology of it's really neat stuff. Yeah. He's, he's the one who was tempted in all ways as we are yet without sin. But um, from a flat earth perspective, I've heard this used to say, hey, there's a mountain somewhere. Jesus was taken up to it. And he saw all the kingdoms of the world. This means he had to have seen like China and he had to have seen everywhere. Right. And so the, now there's some, some of this is just a lack of awareness about topography in Israel. So in Israel, within walking distance during Jesus's temptation, he's not just in some random wilderness, right? He's in the wilderness, north of the Dead Sea, south of Jerusalem in walking distance. Um, let's see, you could go to Jerusalem. That's 2,474 feet high. Mount Scopus is 2,710 feet high. Most likely the closest, you know, or the, the highest mountain he could reach in the 40 days of temptation uh, without supernatural powers being used is 3,300 feet. Now, some would say, well, there's an there's Mount Hermon up in the north. That's 9,000 feet high. It is. It's 9,000 feet high. But guess what? There was a temple on Mount Hermon. And they had, they had gone up to it. I, I remember hearing Michael Heiser, one scholar who, in many ways, I do like, but on this particular issue, I think he propagates some things that aren't accurate. Mm -hmm. um, and he said, um, you know, they didn't climb mountains back then, but actually there was, I mean, the highest mountain in there, anywhere in the region was Mount Hermon. It was 9,000 feet high and there was a temple up there. So people had gone up there and guess what they knew? You can't see all the kingdoms of the world on any of our mountains. Yeah. So, so here's the thought. Um, I think this is a supernatural vision which is why Luke records it slightly differently. It says in Luke 4, 5, the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Took him up and what showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. Why is a moment of time relevant? Because it's relating to a vision he had, a brief vision of all the kingdoms of the world. It's, you know, either you just showed him the king, you know, if it just doesn't make sense to add the phrase moment of time unless it's vision related, I think. Mm -hmm. But another scripture that balances this out is um, when Jesus calls Nathaniel to be a disciple of his. I think it's really interesting when I realized this was kind of a parallel passage from a flat earth perspective. And he says to Nathaniel, hey, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. And Nathaniel's like, how did you see me under the fig tree? That doesn't make any sense. Oh, wow. You have divine knowledge. You must be the son of God. And on a flat earth perspective, Nathaniel would have turned to Jesus and be like, you must have been on a mountain, right? Because <laughs> you could naturally see me. If you can see China, you could see me under the fig tree. Right. But there's there's a natural understanding that, no, you can't just go up high enough to see everything there is. Uh, this seems to be a, a vision uh, from the text, yeah. Mm -hmm. 
No, that's that's really good. And then I think um, just one thing to maybe as we wrap up here, I just have one thought. Someone actually asked me um, on our, our cultish page on our Instagram. Someone actually messaged me. Um, so I actually took a picture of your of your awesome uh, cup. That's great there. So uh, we got you're going to have a bunch of people who are all of a sudden going to want your uh, cups because oh, yeah. <laughs> of, because of this podcast. But uh, you know, someone actually asked. And I think it's a good question. Um, you know, someone asked uh, like if if the Hebrews believed a flat Earth biblical cosmology, why didn't God correct them? And I think the answer to that question is that you know throughout the entirety of history, there have been a lot of different ideas about cosmology, uh, whether or not it's the earth is centric, whether or not the sun is centric or, you know, people in the ancient times had their, had their model as well too. Well, ultimately, if you look at the whole bot, the story of the Bible, one thing we can agree on is that the Bible is a linear story. It's, it's, it starts at the beginning and it goes to a conclusion and the whole purpose of the redemptive story of Jesus coming, uh, was not to convince people of a particular model uh, of a particular cosmology. It was that, it was to talk about the coming of the Messiah, that he was going to save his people from their sins. That's the story of the gospel. Um, like that's, that's the whole point being is to save people from their sin. Because the main thing is not the main issue that we have, that mankind has right now and all the brokenness and all the sin and, and brokenness that we see here in the world is not a misunderstanding of where the earth is versus where the stars are. Our biggest problem is that we are separated from a holy God and that we're tainted with sin. That's the purpose of the gospel. That's the purpose of the Messiah coming. That's really the focal point, Jesus being the center of history, is that it's Christ dying for our sins, being raised on the third day according to the scripture, his sin for our righteousness. That's the hope of the gospel. Um, that's, that's I think, my perspective, really the focus of, of the entirety of history. So I think really in this whole aspect of this whole conversation, one, um, you guys can give me thoughts as you wrap, wrap up here, is that we should look to creation, understanding it declares the glory of God, but understand too that creation, again, it condemns mankind and makes them without excuse, and it shows people that they desperately need, they need a savior, they need Christ. Like that's the focal point. The focal point of the gospel is saving is people being saved from their sins. That's what people need. That's where the focal point needs to be uh, when it comes to us as Christians, is Christ dying for our sins, not a specific cosmology. I think that's it has its place, but I think it can be incredibly misguided. But I think that's that would be my answer to that question. Uh, do you guys have yeah. any uh, last thoughts uh, yeah. know, that or anything as we wrap up here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It says in James 3.1, it says, Not many... Of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That should be terrifying to people when you're opening up God's word, when you're posting things uh, that you're reading necessarily, maybe on YouTube. Whether you feel that you're correct, Jeremiah 17 9 says, Our hearts are deceitful. We must be able to be corrected by scripture. And I pose a question to anyone who does uh, pose the flat earth model in Acts uh, chapter 7, verse 55. This is the stoning of Stephen. It says, but he full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. My question for you would be, how high is that? He could see it. 
right? If we're taking these things literal, just as everything else that may be poetic in language uh, in scripture, and I don't think this is poetic by any means, but I'm saying if I'm to think as a flat person who holds to the flat earth model, if I'm looking up, literally heaven is above the firmament. He must have seen something, but wouldn't it be a speck? Wouldn't it be a dot? Would he actually be able to see who it was? Mm. I would say that your, your thought process of scripture couldn't rightly even understand this. I would say heaven is close, but we can't see it. Mm. We need to be consistent. And remember, if we teach, we will be judged with much stricter judgment. It's a dangerous thing to fall into the hands of the living God. All right. Mike, any last thank you again for uh, coming on, man. And uh, any last thoughts from you as we uh, wrap up here? Well, I do have a, a couple of thoughts. First, I'll just say thanks for having me on, you guys. Yeah. I appreciate this. this. This content, I think is really needed in this discussion. And I'm really glad to have it get out there. Um, in response to the question about like, what if what if just the Israelites were holding to a flat earth understanding of things at the time, I would say, um, this is this is not okay, it's good for historical background to know what the people at the time already believed. But it's not good to project those beliefs onto scripture, if scripture doesn't actually teach it because then you trap God into the already beliefs of the people of the time. And so there's times in Israel where they were believing weird things. They're like, here's, here's God and here's his Asherah, his, his heavenly wife, right? Well, there's Israelites who believe that, but the Bible refutes that. The only way we can let the Bible teach us something different than what we or someone else already believes is if we don't just make the very reckless statement of, well, if ancient Near Eastern people believed it, then the Bible automatically teaches it. And, yeah. and, it, and what we're doing is we've said, look, even scholars promote things like they say, well, the ends of the earth is talking about these, these actual edges on the end of the broadest sense of the earth. But we showed you the verses in context is talking about Babylon. I'm like, you don't have to be a scholar to know they're wrong. <laughs> this mm -hmm. is just basic reading skills 101, you know, just taking scripture as, as it comes. And so um, I, also, I also am skeptical that the cosmology of the ancient Near East was this model that we keep seeing put in front of us. But that to me is a different discussion, right? Mm -hmm. Because whatever they believed, I can just show scripture doesn't teach that and move on. Yeah. yeah. And I think also you have to take with a grain of salt, you know, reading through the lens of the ancient, of whoever the people were at that ancient time, just because, and again, I think, you know, Mike, you mentioned Mike Heiser. I think he's someone who's definitely a brother and, and there's aspects where I appreciate him. I think one of the areas where I do uh, disagree uh, emphatically is that I believe he, he has an overemphasis on uh, reading the scripture through the lens of the people like during that time. And I think one of the problem things problematic with that is that mankind's history overall is condemned by God in Romans chapter one. So what you actually see are people during ancient times who know the true and living God, but they're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness and they're worshiping the creation rather than the creator and versus when you actually have God's covenant people who are truly worshiping him. So they are really a blip uh, in they're really a grain of sand in comparison to the entirety of history as far as God's covenant people go. So I think that's another aspect too, just an example why you need to look at things holistically and not take anyone's word for anything. Now, don't take my word, don't take Mike's word, don't take Andrew's word, but you know, look at what God says and have that be first and, and focal and foremost. So um, all that being said, uh, this has been a great discussion. So if you guys have enjoyed this, uh, this, uh, this, 
podcast and conversation, go to our social media. Definitely let us know what you thought in regards to these passages. Again, we weren't, there's a lot more we could cover. Uh, we did just for the sake of time and prep, we didn't have the time to cover everything. So uh, go to the cultistshow.com to our blog. You'll see some content discussing uh, the firmament, a couple other passages we weren't able to address just for the sake of time. But once again, Mike, thanks for coming on and we will have to get you on in the near future at some point. Sounds fun, man. I, I love getting to spend time with you guys and I really believe in what you're doing. So thank you awesome. for, and we appreciate for you. keeping on, keeping on. Yeah, and we appreciate <laughs> you as well. All right. Thank you guys for uh, hanging out with us. And we'll talk to you next week on Cultish. Talk to you guys soon. All right. That's the video. I hope you liked it. Again, you can check out Cultish. Links below to their podcast and the content they have. It's very interesting stuff. And, um, and yeah, I, I'd be interested in feedback from Flat Earth proponents. And even those of you who are not, who just might go down to the comments and scroll down and look, examine this. Have they handled the verses that I dealt with, that they gave me, that I then examined and looked at in, in context? Have they handled them fairly and properly? Or is it a bunch of distractions and changing the subject? Because that, I'm just being honest, that's what I've seen in response to this sort of analysis. I think that flat earth proponents, including some scholars who say that the Bible supports a flat earth, have just gone way off the reservation when it comes to simple verse-by-verse -verse study of Scripture. And that is an area that I care very much about. I'm Mike Winger, and my goal is to help you learn how to think biblically about everything.